Hey everyone, welcome to the Know Your Gear Live QA podcast every Friday at 3 o'clock Mountain Standard Time. A couple things to talk about, of course, right away that's important is uh, a lot of you are saying congratulations, 300,000 subscribers. Definitely thank you guys so much for that. And uh, I wanted to do something fun on today's show. So, couple things to get out of the way that's uh, that's going to be fun. Uh, I have put together a special montage. I don't know. <laughs> Even when I'm facing the thing, I don't know what I'm pointing at. <laughs> right there, <laughs> I am pointing, uh, obviously for the viewers watching it live, at a picture of a uh, Know Your Gear viewer. And uh, so basically, uh, the entire show, there'll be uh, just pictures flipping of all of you that have basically made this channel happen over the years. Uh, now, I just want to say thank you, and if you see your picture, uh, put a comment. Let me know. Let me know you were here and you saw it during the the um, during the live show. And if you're watching the rebroadcast, put in the comments that you were that you were there. Uh, so, anyways, a uh, couple things uh, to get out of the way too uh, is because it's 300,000 subscribers, we have. Um, what do you call it? Vaulted. We've expired. We've uh, stopped making the pre-300,000 subscriber Know Your Gear shirt. The good news is you don't have to worry about buying the new one because, one, it just came out, which means it's going to be out for well, quite a while. <laughs> it's going to be a while before we get to 400. Um, and uh, it's not going to get more expensive as it goes. So if you're interested, I'm wearing the new logo. If you guys didn't see a couple weeks ago, let me move my mic just a little bit out of the way. The new logo is uh, we made the guitars solid. And also, the, I asked for the signature to be removed, but the, on the version, I guess you guys get there's still a signature. It's just in white, not blue. So it's all white again. So that's the... Uh, and there were some other changes. I don't... <laughs> I don't want to. I feel bad if I don't recognize them. But uh, that shirt is now available down below if you want to buy it. But like I said, don't feel inclined to hurry because you know <laughs> it's it just came out. It's gonna be out for a while. And also, um, also the collab shirt with Tone King, the Know Your Tone shirt, still available. I'm just letting you guys know that's. I'm pretty sure we're doing that to the end of the month. So again, don't don't feel pressure for that. But that will be discontinued so something to think about if i was going to get one that's the one i'd probably get then there you go uh so anyways uh, a couple fun things uh <laughs> a couple not fun things to talk about i guess i don't know uh, i want to share some stuff before i get into questions i had a a really cool conference call with the sweetwater guys uh they had a conference call with like a ton of youtubers uh about uh the affiliate changes and programs and stuff like that and um during the discussion, uh, off topic, we for some reason they uh, we were talking about guitars, and I was talking about that all my guitars are within a tolerance of a range of weight from each other, and uh, apparently, what I thought was just passing conversation, they followed up with an email saying we thought that was really interesting uh, that all your guitars weigh you know within a range of of weights, and. Uh, so they asked me if I was interested in doing a video about that. So I'm working on that. So the reason I'm sharing that with you today is because I had to weigh all my guitars. And uh, it was quite interesting, all these guitars behind me and how they're the weighted. What I learned about my guitar collection is this. My lightest guitar that I own is six pounds, two ounces. <laughs> and believe it or not, I have two of them that weigh that exact wow. Uh, weight, wow, exact weight. Uh, and then 6.6. .6. And then my heaviest guitar I own 
is exactly eight pounds. <laughs> so there you there you go. Uh, so I just thought that was funny. And then of course, obviously, all the weights in between. So I'll be doing a video, I guess, talking about all my weights and my guitars. And um, and I think what's interesting is uh, Sweetwater basically has prompted me to make a guitar collection video, which is what you guys have been asking for. But uh, maybe talk about my neuroses about why I like guitars. The only part that, uh, reason I'm bringing this up was one, I had to weigh them today. The other thing that was funny was my wife came into my office this morning and the first thing she saw was these cards stuck in all the price, on the, all the price, all the guitars. And she's like, are you selling all the guitars? Is there something going on? Are people coming over to buy them? Cause she thought they were price tags for a second. All right. That's my intro into the show. <laughs> so we have questions to get to, I'm sure. As always, I come in early, uh, like a lot of you do, and uh, I grab some of the questions, the first questions of the day. The first question I saw today with question marks first was from Carl. He said, uh, hey, Phil, I'm, re I'm really excited about the new 68 Pro and 68 Vibro uh, uh uh, amps from Fender. So, so as you guys know, Fender makes a 65 series and a 68 series of amplifiers. The 68 being the silver-faced or the drip pan, uh, you know, type amplifiers. And they've added two this year, which was the 68 Pro and the 68 Vibro. And uh, he says, I'm really interested in what the 10, what the 1030 uh, sounds like with less tubes and, and lower wattage. What are my thoughts? You know, I really like the 68 series. There's, uh, I hear complaints all the time that they rattle. That's a, a thing I've, I've never experienced, but I've heard the complaint a lot. Um, I like the 68 series a lot. Uh, the, the funny thing about the 68 series that is interesting to me is that when they first came out, you know, at first, my first reaction, I think a lot of players had this reaction, like, why the hell would you bring the silver faces back? <laughs> like, did anyone want those? Aren't those what we could, you know, especially back then, a few years back, you know, aren't those what we can find deals on? And really, they were all modded. So if you're not familiar with them, you can read online, read about the 68 series. They're a little bit modded up. Some of them have like a basement circuit, and there's all kinds of stuff going on. And over the years, for some reason, I like them. My ear likes the more compressed feel that they have, the little bit more of a grit when you hit them a little harder. There's just something about that series. In fact, it's a it's a weird thing I'm going to say. It's like my favorite cheap tube amp. And I wouldn't call them cheap because they're, you know, a thousand bucks. But you got to understand, when I'm talking about like expensive tube amps, I, I like these. I feel like I can grab the 68 series like my Princeton and 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 take it places and it feels like it's a much more expensive amplifier sounding up fire it's got a really kind of modded sound the funny part about it is they usually have selection speakers modifications to them and they're priced less than 65 and the reason why i bring that up is because when that happened when i was a dealer this was back then i had asked the guys at fender i said that doesn't make any sense so why if they have better speakers upgraded speakers and upgraded mods, why are they less? And Fender said, well, it's because what the market will bear and the market will bear more for the blackface than the silverface, and we know that. It was a really interesting thing to me because it was just flat out admitting like, yeah, yeah, probably probably cost them more to make the 68s over the 65s, but you know, they get what they can get. So when they can get more from us, they get it. And when they can't, they have to adjust. So Carl, to answer your question, one of my thoughts, I haven't tried the two. I'm a fan of the 68 series is what I'm trying to get to. Um, will one come to the show again at this point? Uh, you know, 90% of the stuff coming through the channel is just stuff I'm buying, you know what I mean, to check out and do stuff. So 
it would just have to come up on enough times from recommendations from you guys. Um, okay, uh, uh, Frank Rizzo was the second question, or at least the second one I saw on, early on, and he said, Phil, can you please explain what exactly a warped neck is? Okay, and can it be fixed? I saw a post on Facebook, Guitar Center was selling a Les Paul with a warped neck for about 2K. Um, well, warped, warped neck's an interesting term. Twisted neck is a term I, it, it, so a twisted neck is where the neck is pitched. In other words, sometimes usually, usually pitched, um, like dipped down in the, uh, in the treble section of the strings. And so it's a little twist to it. And so it's hard to get the, the action set up correct. Warp necks. Hmm. I mean, I use the term sometimes, but usually a warp neck, it's hard for me to say what it exactly is without looking at that exact guitar. Because a lot of guitars, you know, a warp neck would be something that would be unfixable with the truss rod. It has an issue, a dip in the neck, it's bowed, it's got a hump. I mean, there's all kinds of things that are more descriptive than I would, that I would use. I don't generally use uh, warped as a term for a neck, to, to, especially to a customer, like, hey, your neck's warped. Um, usually it's tw it's a twist or there's a hump or... Like I said, there's um, a dip. I mean, I try to kind of explain it better than that, but um, uh, it's weird to me that it, <laughs> why a guitar would be too grand with a warped neck and that they would be posting it. But I don't know. You said Guitar Center, and sometimes there's weird things coming out of there. So that's my thing. That's one of those tough things about doing a podcast show when I'm talking. There's no visual aids. So without visual aids, it's a little tricky to, to kind of walk down that road with you. Okay, um, what else? Okay, hey, by the way, Ben Coombs in the house. Hey, Ben, what's up? Nathan? Nathan's in the house. All right, I'm just going to, some of the moderators, if you see the blue, blue, Ben, oh, I started Ben. <laughs> if you see the blue with the wrench, they're moderators. Um, I'm trying to figure out, uh, and then I'll get right to questions right away, but uh, I've been trying to figure this out, this uh, guys, uh, Ben, uh, Nathan, I asked uh, this once before of the moderators, can you guys, I can take any any viewer's comment right now, like for instance, uh, let's just do it, uh, please. Um, I'm going to use Beast Rich 581 He said, uh, uh, for fun, Phil is selling his urge base. Okay, so right now I can pin that. I just did. So it's pinned to the top. So I'm assuming you all can now see it pinned by Phil McKnight. What I want to know is can the moderators also pin questions? And if you can, I have this idea, and I want to know what the viewers think and you guys think. I think it'd be cool to have a moderator of the week, maybe do that twice a month or once a month, where I pick one of the moderators, and they get to pick questions. So they'll pick your questions instead of me picking the questions. Let me know. So floopity doos in the house as well. So like I said, if any of you guys do me a favor, uh, let's put LPDs here too. If any of you guys can pin a question, pin, pin one, and I'll read it, and then... And Ben says we can't pin. See, this is why this total system that they've built sucks. What's the point of having a moderator if they can't help me with the thing which is trying to talk to the audience? All right, we'll figure something out. So uh, everybody put your uh, thinking hats on on how we can do that. I would really like to do episodes where uh, LPD pedals or Cheddar's, Cheddar's a moderator. Hey, Cheddar, it's good to see you. Uh, any of you can do it and if we can't pin it through the system we'll find a way so everybody kind of help me figure out a way we'll do it if they have to 
just copy paste them and maybe message to me, message, message, whoa, message them to me uh, through the uh, through the phone. I don't know. Okay, so now we're gonna go. We're gonna start hitting some questions because I think that's why everybody came. It was, uh, or it's to see my hat because I got a cool hat. Okay, so Greg's question is, looking forward to 300K gear and on to 400,000 subscribers. Congratulations. You just give me congratulations. Thank you, Greg. Uh, like I said, subscribers uh, are, they're a bragging thing. I always, I always, I feel that way. It's a, it's a brag. Uh, the, the, the actual function it seems to have on the channel has very little. And the reason I tell you that is, um, I say that because if you have a channel out there and you have less subscribers than this, um, just keep in mind, this doesn't really drive. Um, I, my theory has been, and it's just a theory, it's not substantiated by any talk with YouTube in any way. I really feel like your subscriber base is really maybe your core. So there's a core. So in my case, maybe it's like five to 10,000 subscribers that are just really die hard. They like watching the, the shows, you know, the, the videos. They like what I do here. That's my core. And then whatever I pick up in the last 90 days. So if I get, and the reason I like this theory is, let's uh, let's look at it logically. If I, in the last 90 days, I've gotten 15,000 subscribers, about 5,000 a month. So 15 plus, like I said, 10,000 maybe diehards, that's 25,000 subscribers. If you look at the math, that's about what every video of mine does as a whole, you know what I mean? And then when it goes above that, when I do 100,000 or 50,000 or whatever videos, those are always, and YouTube's telling me, oh, it's reaching outside your audience. So it's, it's uh, that's my theory. So on channels, I, I think subscribers are, it's, and nowadays it feels more like a thing you just get to say to people. <laughs> like I have this many subscribers, but as a, as a, monetary system, how you make money or how you actually uh, can effectively make good content. I find that uh, that doesn't build in any audience of guarantee for your content. So you got to make good content. So I'm just sharing that because uh, I'm happy to get to this point where I'm at, but I'm also uh, very aware of the fact that, uh, you know, you can be successful with, with that, with more than that, with less than that. Um, let's see. Asa, yep, yeah, Asa, uh, Asa. I, I, you know, I pronounced it right last time, and you even gave me phonetics. <laughs> I feel like I'm doing it wrong now. It says, hey, hey, Phil, just got a 2014 60th anniversary desert sand made in Mexico Strat, and I love it. Came with original case and paperwork for six hundred dollars. It's my first real Fender. It's a great guitar. My first real Fender was a made in Mexico Sunburst Strat with uh, maple fretboard. I bought it when I was 30 years old, maybe 29. Like it was that ish. Cause it wasn't like a birthday gift. It was, but I just remember like it had to be 29 because I remember thinking like I got my first fender before I was 30. I remember thinking that was a big deal. And it was a made in Mexico. And I, and I didn't even, at that point, I didn't really even care. <laughs> you know what I mean? It wasn't like, isn't that funny? I find that it didn't really like uh, it, it, I bought it for, for what it was. And I didn't think like, Oh, I don't have a main America one. <laughs> it was weird. It's weird. I, I find, like I said, that's why I kind of always, when we have these kind of conversations, talk about when I bought that Strat, I was, I was only playing bass. That was kind of like my first guitar back into guitar. Cause it'd been years since I owned a guitar at that point. 
and I needed one to record. I had some kind of uh, multi-track Tascam digital recorder um, that had like 16 tracks and I record and I was recording bass and I was, you know, building drum tracks and building bass and recording all the time and I needed a guitar and then I was like, oh, okay. Uh, and I think at that time it was $3.99, maybe been $4.49, but I think it was $3.99 is what I paid new for the main Mexico Strat. So, uh, so I got it for functionality. I was like, I just thought this would be a good guitar and let's get it. And what's funny about that is it wasn't until I started collecting that all of a sudden I started paying attention to where things were made, you know what I mean, or what their, you know, what their value points are. I'm not saying that's, that's the only reason you do that, but I find the, collect, the collection side of your head or collectors are more focused on that. I became more focused on where things are made and, 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 and their uh, elusiveness, you know what I mean, how unique they are and how collectible they are. That, that's what fuels that kind of desire in me for that kind of stuff. But when I'm playing guitar and I'm in my just want to play music because I love music, all that kind of sweeps away real fast and I just kind of get right down to the core of what I love. So um, so I, I'm basically I'm saying I can relate to you. It's a great guitar because it is a great guitar and congratulations on it. Plus, that's a great color. You say desert sand. Um, it's not shoreline gold. It might be desert sand. 60th anniversary. I can't remember. I want to say 2014 should have been Fender's 60th anniversary. So it's the because that's where it gets confusing, right? There's like a 60th anniversary of Fender, and then there's a 60th anniversary uh, now what Fender Strat, right? Are we that far yet? Not maybe yet. Not um, and uh, I, maybe it was Desert Sand. I thought they were Shoreline Gold, but they're probably Desert Sand. You're right. Looks the same. <laughs> Looks ish. You know what I mean? It's metallic tan. So. Um, and, uh, and, and just for a disclaimer, my wife says I'm kind of colorblind a little bit. So if you guys don't think it's metallic tan, just understand that my wife thinks every time I mention a color, I'm off. Spencer says, if you could only get one PRS core guitar, what would it be and why? I really cannot stress enough how much I look forward to these shows. Thanks again. Thank you so much for the compliment. It's like, it's a little nice. Thank you. Um, so to answer, you didn't put the the cool, the, not the cool, you didn't put the hard part in that question, which is, and my budget is, <laughs> right? Uh, I can have one PRS core guitar. So here's here's my problem. I'm going to do, just to keep things sane, I'm going to go off a core guitar that you can get. You know what I mean? Because like I like my Mira, I have one behind me, uh, but you can't get the core mirrors anymore and you can buy them used, but, but we're going to go off of what you can get now new. I hope that's fair. Um, which also now eliminates the uh, Custom 22. Uh, I have a Custom 24. I love my Custom 24. Um, but if I could get one core guitar, I have a hollow body too. I have a Custom 24. I like them both. And I kind of feel like if I couldn't have both and I could only have one core guitar, I would go with the Special, the Simi Hollow Special, the one that came out this year. That's, that's the guitar. Um, I think everything about it just works for me it's got it's like semi hollow it's got that going for it it's 22 frets which i kind of like it's uh two humbuckers plus the mini in the middle the mini the mini uh narrow filled um so that's probably the way i would go if but that's crazy expensive i think they're like four grand so if so that's the answer of new if i can have anything new that currently prs one core guitar and i only had one that's what i would pick new if i can only have one used prs guitar right now uh, cause I probably gonna, I guess you could find that guitar, but 
so without the parameter of being new, I'd probably just get a custom 24, custom 22, whichever your preference is. There's, there's just, it's just a preference of uh, usually neck shape. So I like them both for a lot, for different reasons. I have a 24. I like it, but I could go 22 just as easy. Um, okay, Jan, Jan says, hey, Phil, thanks for your channel. Thank you. After two strats, Les Paul style and a 335 style, I landed on a Fender Lead 3, humbucker, humbucker, splittable, and it seems to be just perfect. Why don't Lead Series guitars get more love? Any opinion on the Leads? Um, I like the Lead Series. I just haven't featured any on the channel. That's that's all. So I can't tell you why no one else has given it love. Um, for me, it's it's exactly that. I'm just I'm just um, I'm stuck with the you know, what you guys have talked about. So now think about this. Now that you've super chatted it and talked to me about it, it's on my radar. Somebody else, if they mention it, then it's like, oh yeah, yeah, maybe that's what I need. I'm just trying to pick the things I think you guys are interested in and dabble a little things I'm interested in. But I like the series. I thought, I thought, I remember uh, when that came out, uh, the reissues came out, uh, Fender, like, didn't they just like, give every YouTuber one. I thought there was a lot of videos because I remember watching like, I think I watched 60 Cycle Hums one. I watched a lot of videos on them. I thought I could be remembering something else. Um, I'm just not on that list for the, uh, the Fender stuff. They don't send stuff to the channel. Um, okay, so let's find some, some non-super chatty questions. Okay. Uh, Duke Neutron. <laughs> okay, let me read this question. It says, hello, Phil. They are calling the Epiphone 1959 standard outfit a collector's guitar. Is that just marketing or it will actually accrue value? Um, uh, okay, so here's the deal. Here's the deal, okay? T taking out the equation of like, you know, Gibson's, Fender's, do go up in value or tend to hold value. That's better said. They hold value in long term. Uh, the idea that a Squire or an Epiphone goes up in value, the only thing that I've ever seen that come into play is when the item is discontinued. Uh, so as a collectible. Um, anything can be a collectible. Let's be clear. I mean, people take, I don't wish I had a great illustration. <laughs> People, people, people can make a collectible, know your gear pick, right? Um, which is just a piece of plastic. And, and just by saying like, uh, well, look, look at me, I discontinue shirts and we get a little surge in sales because everybody's like, oh, it's kind of cool to have the older one than the newer one. Um, that is not my driving force for that. It's just the reason, you know, it's just, it's just an exciting reason to, to maybe get the shirt. Um, so collectible, collectability sometimes is, uh, I don't want to say faked because that's that's not right. It's but it is kind of increased, you know what I mean, by saying it's limited. So I don't know if that guitar is limited. That would be the thing. I mean, if they make the guitar for years, I don't know. I don't know. Um, the uh, the reality though, the advice. That's that's my answer, which is just my theory. The advice I would give you is buy it because you like it. No other reason will make sense to you. So buying guitars 
and the idea of collections to make money later is a very dicey proposition, <laughs> right? And sometimes you come out ahead and sometimes you don't. And no matter how good you are at this, um, you'll make a mis misstep and you'll and you make a calculation and you, you just don't know. Um, so what I found is if you've now done, hopefully what you're doing is you've got your joy, which is playing guitar and you're just using, because that's the beautiful part about this. I've talked about this before. The beautiful part is you can buy a guitar and play it for years and sell the guitar and either get most of your money back or all your money back, buy another guitar. It's kind of a nice, nice thing, right? It's not like buying a TV where it just in 10 years is worth, or five years is worth nothing. Um, but that being said, enjoy it while you have it. No other, no other benefit will ever feel as good as that. No financial gain. Not that I've seen. Um, there's no guitar that I can sit there hearing tell you that I bought and then I sold and made money on and go, man, that was way better than just enjoying it. <laughs> I, I've never come to that conclusion. That just comes always as icing on the cake is where I'm going with this. Is Sometimes it's nice if you got to play guitar for a little while, enjoy it when you're done with it. If, if you're done with it, you know, your tastes change, things change. But um, toxicity, toxicity leader says... Do I recommend Squire basses? I do. I like Squire basses. For affordable basses, some of my favorite affordable price basses are uh, Ibanez, but you got to love that neck, man. They're tiny necks, and that's kind of what's cool. But also, if you don't like that, it's kind of what's horrible. They also have a modern tone to them. Very punchy, very cool, but definitely not vintagey, modern sounding. I like Ibanez basses for affordable. I like Squire basses, definitely, for affordable. And I like... Um, uh, the sub brand, you know, Music Man before they were sub Sterling. I haven't tried a lot of the Sterling ones, but the sub ones were good. But I also like Schechter basses. Those are my favorite basses when I pick them up. And uh, and here's why I kind of ration, uh, rationalize it that way. Those brands that I just mentioned, I'm not saying they're the best. They're the brands every time I pick them up and I play them and then somebody, and I do that, I can do that. I can honestly say I do that. $2.99, you say? You know what I mean? Like, you're like, whoa, okay. I was thinking, you know, even the Squire, I picked up Squire bases and thought, five? And they're like, oh, $3.50. I'm like, whoa, that's good. <laughs> I was thinking five, you know what I mean? Based on, you know, working on guitars all the time, you kind of get like a sense of where cheap cheapening happens. <laughs> you know what I mean? Everybody thinks there's like, you know, a, a price point or a brand is good or bad, but some there's a formula to making something good and a formula to make something bad in the idea that, you know, what companies focus on. Some companies focus on fretwork and you get great fretwork instruments and some companies focus on finish work and some companies focus on design. You know, you know what I mean? It's just everybody's got a different uh, because you got to understand that when we think of companies like, you know, Squire or uh, Ibanez, remember, there's also product managers. The, the person who's the product manager of Squire today was not the product manager maybe 20 years ago. And although the companies are the same and the instruments look the same, the person making decisions about where those instruments are made, what factories and what quality decisions and what paint decisions that's a person and that person is just like us. They have things that they, you know, traumas from kid, you know, being a kid, they're like, I hate pink, <laughs> you know, right. Or whatever the deal is, or they, you know what I mean? So, so you'll, when you see instruments change, you know what I mean? Stylistically over the years, a lot of times it's as simple as new person on the job. They hired a new person. Our industry is riddled with the fact that there are, oh, a, two dozen people, Grover Jackson's like one of them, 
uh, that have been with many companies over the years. So a lot of times, you know, and, and, and that's just, you know, Greg Bennett, you know, there's all kinds of people that literally you go, oh, this instrument feels like this other instrument now, or it's kind of got this vibe. Well, it's because the person that's the product manager, the designer came from that other company. So, uh, that's why I like those, those, those particular brands that I said, just because I like the way they feel. Mm. Abby says, I just got a uh, Squire Jazz Bass, had to dress the front ends. It was like a saw. Yeah. That, that's just, that is a pro not a price point thing. Uh, fret Sprout, like I just got that. Oh, it's out of shot. Where's it at? Is it here? Oh, it is here. It's like right there. I got that RG565. I'm trying to mess it up my computer here. Uh, and it had a Fret Sprout. And... That is an interesting uh, video because the comments are, of course, like everything on the internet. So they just get along and everybody agreed. No, uh, everybody fell into two camps in the comments of me addressing, uh, addressing, not dressing the fret spout, but addressing the issue. Um, half of them were like, that's unacceptable at a thousand dollar guitar. And the other half are, hey man, why are you complaining? Guitars get fret sprout. <laughs> Here's what's interesting. What's interesting is, is that fret sprout uh, and maybe that's what I didn't convey in that video. And that's why I'm doing the process of the reviews the way I'm doing now, where I'm checking all these things. Look, whether you guys are aware of it or not, I will hook you up. I will give you some, some, some uh, information you may not have. Manufacturers are not drying wood the way they used to. The process is now more sped up. I don't mean like last month this is a decision. I'm talking about in the last decade or so. Maybe the last two decades. It's getting... The way that the wood is being cared for, the way the wood is being treated, the way that the, main, the instruments are being made has changed over the last few decades. And the amount of fret sprout that we see now is epic compared to what it used to be. You know what I mean? Um, you know, perfectly said, I have a friend who's got a ton of vintage style guitars. Vintage, I shouldn't say vintage because that implies like 60s, 70s guitars. A lot of 80s era, 90 guitar, 90s guitars. And his question to me was, how come none of those guitars never had fret sprout and still don't to this day? He had, he's like, his question to me was, you know, I was dressing some fret sprout for him on a guitar he just bought. And he was like, how come I've had six guitars in the last two years had to have this done, this treatment? Because he's paying me to do it. He's like, well, how do I got to constantly bring these guitars to you? But my guitars that I bought 15 years ago, not only have they, they didn't do it, they still haven't done it. They've never done it. And I said, well, it's, they're made they're made differently now. So that's one issue. The second thing, which is what I brought up in that video, is now you're seeing rhetoric from the companies in their websites starting to say things like fret sprouts, a normal thing that happens to all guitars. It's not. <laughs> I have a crazy story. <laughs> I always do, apparently, on every episode. I want to tell you a crazy story. Okay. This is my crazy story. Some of you please sit down because this won't this might upset you. This beautiful Framus guitar that I love, that I play. I made a mistake. It happens. I took it with me, it's in a gig bag. I took this guitar with me on a 13-hour road trip. <laughs> Can't believe I'm admitting this. I put it not thinking 
Because why? Because I live in Arizona. Do you know how cold it gets in Arizona? It never gets cold in Arizona. So in this road trip that I went on in my car, my truck actually, I put it in the gig bag in the back seat on the floor of the truck. I was in the front cab, and during this 13-hour trip, uh, about two, three hours in as I went north, it got really cold, and I turned on the heater. What I didn't know is that basically until I got to the place I got there, for 10 hours, this guitar had been sitting in front of the heaters. You know how you have heaters underneath your driver's seat that heat the back of your cab? The heaters were maybe 8, 10 inches from this guitar. When I picked up the gig bag, the just to give you an idea how hot the gig bag was, the zipper hand burnt my wrist. It burnt my hand touching it. I just, I, I jumped away. I, I thought for a second, it was so bad. For a second, I thought a scorpion was on the bag. Like, you know, because we have scorpions here. I thought a scorpion got caught on the bag and I thought it just stung me. And I was like, what the hell was that? And I pick up the bag and the bag is burning hot. And of course, I pull out the guitar and the guitar is super hot. Guess what? It's perfectly fine. No fret sprout. No, nothing. It basically got, here, let me put this down. It basically got a 10-hour blasted heat treatment. Nothing happened. Now, I would tell you that that was luck, but I have been to the Framus factory. I have seen how they dry wood. That wood on that guitar had been dried over three to five years. That's not an exaggeration. That's true. Do you need to do that? No. Can you make a guitar and basically cut down a tree last Wednesday? Apparently, I'm a big exaggerating now. Cut down a tree and then dry it out like they do now and make guitars? Yes. Will you have to deal with Fred Sprout? Yes. But, so that's my point. All that was to tell you that basically, uh, <laughs> Ben says this, so it's roasted neck now. Yes. Um, my point is, is that, uh, look, we're getting some guitars at some great prices and they're going to kind of speed up the process. I try not to criticize that too harshly. However, I don't like it when I see the expensive manufacturing. All of a sudden, look down at the inexpensive manufacturing and go, hey, why don't we do it that way too? But we'll still charge this price that's supposed to guarantee me not to have to deal with that crap. Um, so uh, so that's my long way of saying, yes, you will get fret sprout on a, on a Squire. It's going to happen, and we address it. We hope to not see that happen on a $3,000 guitar, $1,000. $1,500 guitar. It would be nice to know, you know, a lot. the question I get that's hard to answer is what, what price point should you not accept it? Um, the problem really isn't at what price point you shouldn't accept a guitar with Fred Sprout. It's what, at what price point should the majority of those guitars not be defective? You know what I mean? And Fred Sprout is a defect. It's just, it's not something I think we should get super upset about, but I like how the manufacturers are trying to like the the verbiage on Fender's website right now is actually interesting that it says that basically it's not a, a fret sprout is not a sign of a defective manufactured instrument. It's just the because it lines in your climate. <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay. I mean, again, saying that it's basically something you're gonna have to burden the cost on, sure. I won't argue that. I don't have to agree with it, I just don't have to argue it. However, you know, it's just interesting rhetoric. So I thought I'd share that with you just because uh, I want you guys to pay attention. And if I and if we're all collectively fine with it, then I guess that's just how it goes. Uh, Ezra says, I had fret sprout on a $3,500 Fender Custom Shop. Sure, my Nuno Bentoncourt uh, that I that that was a 
$3,800 street price guitar that I bought. It had fret sprout on ebony and, um, you know, <laughs> it was, and it was made in Illinois. So obviously, you know, when it got to Arizona, maybe it just dried out. I wasn't too happy about it. I had to fret, I had to correct it myself. They did not warranty it. Mm. Let me put that back on you. I was a dealer and they wouldn't let me warranty it. Like I, <laughs> so, um, yeah, that stuff, I don't really condone that stuff. I don't think that's right. Um, and hopefully on a custom shop, you can take it to a certified um, gold level, you know what I mean, high level uh, warranty center for Fender and get that stuff uh, corrected. Yeah. But, uh, and that's what I'm basically saying, is that there, it's not that no guitar should have fret sprout, but I think there's definitely a price point in which we should really be, you know, criticizing it. Um, one of the comments on that video on the RG-565 that was interesting, maybe it was multiples, but one caught my eye was, no guitar should come defective because, you know, you wouldn't buy any other products defective. I do agree with that, but I also, as someone who works on them, know that because there's so much hand handmade interaction with the instrument, it's not really stamped out. It's not, it's not duplicated. To, you know what I mean? Uh, Grover Jackson, somewhere has got a great quote. He says, people, musicians expect machine tolerances from wood when we build guitars and it's impossible. That's a very, what do you call it, paraphrased, you know, kind of blurb. I don't think that's exactly what he said, how he said it, but that's the that's the general idea of it. And I was like, yeah, I, I, I understand that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, uh, Vape Fagan says, where did I buy, I think he's talking to me, where did you buy in Illinois? Uh, I want to say... I think that one, because I, I went through a phase years ago where I bought a bunch of Nunos, uh, and I always got them from either Boogie Street, which I think the owner was Jason. I'm probably not even close. Um, super great. Uh, but the other place was something with a monkey in it. Is, there a, is, that, is that a place? And <laughs> it's, I don't know. Uh, something, not Monkey Mambo, but something like that. And I can't remember which one. Yeah, Jim says you shouldn't have to work on a $3,800 guitar. That's exactly the point. So, uh, Nathan says, does fret sprout on a roasted maple neck fretboard prove that, that the uh, terrification is a scam? Question mark. Great. Great question, Nathan. Uh, not just because you're my friend, but it's a good question. I would say it. <laughs> uh, here's, here's what I, but here, Nathan, here's what I can tell you about the roasted maple neck experiment. Um, when the roast maple neck thing took off, I think you guys watching the channel, especially anybody watching a lot of the videos know, I must've did 15 roasted maple neck guitars, right? I did the Shiji, I did uh, four Ibanez's roasted maple necks. I did two Charvel's roasted maple necks. I did the Harley Benton roasted maple neck. I did, um, I'm missing some. There's a bunch <laughs> They're on my channel. And it, that's what I wanted to know. I wanted to know, I wanted to play them. And here's what I learned from playing a ton of roasted maple necks, work, working on them. Uh, a couple things that I learned. One, the more they roast the neck, the more likely that none of that stuff's going to happen. So uh, so to Nathan's point, um, I have seen on my uh, my Charvel, my blue Charvel, which is not in picture, it's in the, out of the frame, but it has a roast maple neck. It had fret sprout. And I found a bunch of those Charvels made in Mexico's that have had fret sprout. But that being said, the the way they roast those necks, it's 
it's lightly. So the roasting is not the same. That's what I'm trying to get at, Nathan, is roasting necks are not the same. It's just like drying necks, just air drying, right? So just like if I said, oh, they put it out like Framus, they put the wood out for two to five years, that's different than two to five months. Well, it's different if you put the, if the wood in the oven for two to five hours versus two to five days. I'm, again, getting giving the concept. So the point of this is, is that what I've learned is it's a double-edged sword for me personally. The more the neck is roasted, oh yeah, my Keeley. My Keeleys are roasted maple necks as well. Um, the What I've learned is the more they roast the neck, the more likely you're never going to have fret sprout. You're never going to have any inconsistencies with the neck moving, and it's beautiful in its consistency. Consistency. However, playing all the roasted maple necks, what I've learned is I like the lightly roasted ones more. I know this is kind of silly. I know there's going to be jokes like light ro lightly roasted almonds or whatever, but seriously, like just, just putting a light roast on the neck, I think it looks cool. Um, and it sounds good, but I think when they cook the crap out of them, <laughs> they make them really dark. Um, they take on a, uh, animal of their own and it, and it, and it gets, it gets a little tricky. Cause here's a good example. Um, the AZ that I had, the Ibanez AZ, the main Japan, that guitar was beautiful, but I just, that neck was just a little too hard and they really kind of, you know, roasted it. But that core guitar that I reviewed that had the really dark roasted neck, uh, didn't have the same issues. So, um, so it doesn't prove that it doesn't work. It just proves that, you know, if they lightly do it, you know, plus we don't know. Uh, I know they have to roast it to a certain point, and I don't think they all follow the same rules. So the good part of all that is what we learned from that, or what I learned, so that's what I'm going to tell you, is what I learned is, like, I, like everything, it really comes down to the people that are running the machines, running the guitars, building the guitars. Like Nathan, you work at Fender now. Uh it really comes down to you. If my guitar is buffed and great, it's not because Fender buffs great. It's because Nathan buffs great and Fender hires Nathan. And if my, you know what I mean? So, so that's what I've learned is it's still always going to come down to people. That's the tricky part. The industry, I think, would love to be a humanless place. <laughs> like a lot of manufacturers, they get to just have machines stamping on stuff all day, but guitars are far from that. Uh, no matter how much people talk about CNC machines, um, like I said, every factory I've been to has been uh, pretty much the same. It's it's like it's half, I'm just being general here, but it's like half machinery and then half ham, human hands. And the human hands are, it's just too much of a factor. So it's what makes the instruments great, but it's also where the mistakes are coming from. So, all right, let's hit some more other questions. Let's jump subjects. The next question I have is from Spencer. Nope, I answered Spencer's question. It's from Jay. Jay says, deciding on a P90 guitar that are more unique than a Les Paul Special. $1,200 range. I'm looking for the Revolta uh, Cabanita 7, Reverend, uh, the Golden Summit Classic. Anything else I should consider? Um, hmm. I mean, I like... I mean, I know you said you don't want the Les Paul, but I like P90s and SG. That's my favorite. That's my favorite P90 guitar. Um, I mean, I just put down the the frame is that's beautiful that has P P90s. As much as I love that guitar, it's still the SG's just a little, I don't know, a little bit more something, something tone-wise. Um, I'm reviewing two Revoltas right now. The one I just finished has three mini humbuckers in it, so it didn't have P90s. I don't know what the other one has. I, has, I have not got to it yet. Uh, the Reverend, I 
Just finished the video uh, editing. Oh, it's not behind me. Oh, it's at top row behind me. There's a Reverend 3 P90. That thing's sick. I would definitely look at that. As you know, I'm a Godin fan. Okay, I'm a Godin fan. And as much as I like the Godin Summit with P90s, if it was me on those two guitars, because the Revoltas, I just don't know. I don't know what to tell you yet. Um, the Godin Summits, because I played those, and the Reverend, based on what I've played, I like the Reverend. I don't know why. Can't tell you. <laughs> it's probably not going to help you. <laughs> so um, I like the Godin, but, man, the Reverend is is legit. JSL says, uh, just did the tip jar. Thanks for everything. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. And that, uh, Douglas also did a thanks, uh, thanks for all you do. So let's go back to the, to the main page. Oh, Jeff saying Texas Toast is doing a single cut P90 right now. So, so there you go. There, yeah. There's there's so many good guitars out there. <laughs> That's why I said sometimes like, is there any other things I should consider? I'm like, oh, there's so many things. It gets like, I mean, it's just a, you can deep dive for hours on the internet looking at all the guitars being manufactured and all the configurations. Um. And then Cheddar saying, Reverend and Revolta are both made in Mir, I think. You are correct, Cheddar. They are both made in the Mir factory. That is correct. Um, although you could still find Reverends. Uh, I have one in here. I have one USA one and one Korean one uh, that I'm reviewing. The one behind me, the orange one, is made in USA. They don't make them there anymore. I just found one and got it. Interestingly weird thing about the Reverend USA ones, you can find Reverend USA guitars used in perfect condition for the same price as a as a new or even slightly used made in Korea one. So it's weird that they don't, it doesn't seem to hold any kind of cachet with Reverend being an American made one. And the Reverend I bought, that orange one, I mean, I did not buy that one because it was made in America. I bought it because it's a hollow. <laughs> That's what I, I was interested in it because of that reason. All right. Lawrence says it's a great time to be a gearhead. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely, there's a lot of stuff. There's definitely, it's definitely no one's making decisions out of, uh, uh, you know, because they can't find stuff. Um, okay, so David's question or David's comment is, I really enjoyed the PRS pickup video. Two questions. Okay, how do the 58, uh, 15 pickups in your hollow body two compare to the three reviewed? Uh, do new Tellys USA or MIM come routed for humbuckers? Okay, so two questions. I got you. Super easy. Uh, the 5815s and the 8515s pickups. I like them both. Um, I do. I've said that before. The 8515s, which to me has a kind of a mid scoop in them, both pickups are really, really good. That being said, um, I don't prefer them. I really do prefer. I, I really, I really, I really got to kind of, kind of explain it like this. There's something about the 5708s that I like. Okay. And uh, what I mean by that is there's a clarity to them that I really, really am drawn to. However, I've learned with those pickups that in the wrong guitar, they're just too bright for me. But I like them in most guitars. My hollow body 2 PRS with the 5815s. Um, I do not love the way that guitar sounds. I like it a lot. I like the having the, the piezo system in it. I love the guitar itself. Um, 
I don't really, so I'm just telling you that I've been thinking about switching those pickups to 5708s. I've been thinking about it. I don't think I will, but I've been thinking about it, which tells me I must not absolutely love those pickups, but I don't hate them. just don't love them. Um, so that's my question. But the main reason when I did that video, I reviewed those three, not only because they're some of my favorites. Like somebody asked me, I think, you know, my mirror pickups. Don't you love the mirror pickups? I absolutely love the mirror pickups. You can't buy them though. So telling you guys, hey, my favorite pickup and is the mirror pickup. Uh, and, you know, you can't buy it. Although that being said, I would never buy a, even a used set of mirror pickups and put them on another guitar. I like my mirror pickups in my mirrors. That's, they, they, and to me, they're kind of 5708-ish. PRS to me, to my ears, swapping pickups all the time and checking pickups all the time, like PRS, um, a lot of their pickups are really close to each other. Really close. So to me, like the Tremonti's and the Metals are very close to each other. They almost uh, sound identical. In fact, with PRS, there's a bunch of pickups that are so close that if I AB'd them, you would have said, oh, I don't hear any difference, Phil, and then the video would have been boring. But there you go. So, um, And another thing that's interesting about that video to know is I, I filmed three full versions of that video, and uh, it didn't edit it down into one video. I literally just watched them and then thought okay did that convey what i was feeling and then so that's the one you guys got but reason why that is because it's tricky when you're doing pickups like that like after a while you're like i don't know what's slightly different about these um so the uh, question is do new telecasters usa or made in mexico come routed for humbuckers um i don't know um i'm trying to Trying to think, what's the newest telly I've pulled a pickguard on? Made me. It's funny. I'm working on two USA tellies right now, but neither of them are getting electronic work. So I just don't know. I don't know the answer. I I know, uh, I know they did before, <laughs> but I I hate it when you know what I mean. I don't know what they've changed. The fenders changed a lot in the last couple of years, and I haven't had put my hands on all this stuff. It has nothing's come through for repair. Um, so, uh, Cheddar Kung Bao says, congrats, next stop, 1 million, 1 million, 1 million subscribers. Um, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. So, you know, it's one of those things you hate to say out loud when you say it like that, because you're like 300,000 is this impossible task, uh, that you think is not going to happen. But, um, um, but realistically, there's things that have to happen to get you subscribers like this, to get to hundreds of thousands of subscribers. My subscriber base has been a steady growing base. So I've been very lucky. So I'll, just for reference, two things, because you know not, not everybody pays attention to my channel's analytics like I do. So let me tell you something I've learned from my analytics that are interesting. Um, the first time, and I can't remember now, but the, the first time I ever hit a million views on my channel, I've never ever gone below a million views on my channel each month. So every month I do a million views. That doesn't sound, well, it may sound impressive. I feel like it sounds impressive, but may not sound unusual. It is very unusual. Ch a lot of channels go ebb and flow. Uh, you know what I mean? Sometimes they'll do two million and then they go half, you know, half a million. You know, right? I stay in this, like, just this middle ground on my views and have for many, many years now. Subscriber base is the same. Like, I don't really, uh, I stay really consistent. I don't lose, I, I mean, I consistently lose like the same amount and consistently get the same amount. So I almost like kind of keep bringing in the same every month. So it's, my train has been this slow, strong going train that I'm very proud of. However, the reason I have this many subscribers, uh, 
is because like Jared Dines did a shout out on my channel once and I got a bunch of subscribers and then Tyler Larson and then Guitar uh, Guitar World for 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 a while for like 6 months Guitar World did like posted like 33 of my videos and pu just pushed me like crazy before they started. Now I don't think they do that anymore because I think they have a deal now with a with a management company to only work with certain YouTube channels and stuff because it's part of the I think Guitar World now I, I think the way I I was explained to me we I think I understood it was uh, Guitar World now when they sell advertising to manufacturers they sell it like packaged I think with some some YouTubers like you know like we'll put an ad in the paper or in the magazine and then we'll put it on our website and we'll get you like five social media videos or something so um, uh, so I think that's why it stopped because I noticed like uh, there was like their usual suspects so to speak there was like me and Robert Baker and um, Tyler Larson and uh, there was a bunch of others that were just constantly in Guitar World promotion. And then that just all went away one day. And then it, you know, <laughs> which is fine. But my point is, uh, that's where all the subs came from. The huge sub, sub counts. A lot of you guys came from those things. And then, of course, every once in a while you get a viral video. Um, um, Okay, I'm, I just got to stop reading. I'm reading stuff. Okay, let me get back. Uh, you guys are being really uh, kind with your positive comments, so I'm kind of like soaking them in, but I got to get back to work. Okay, Josh Smith says, what's up, Phil? I have a 95 Squire that I want to learn to refret on. The neck has the slightest twist to it. Okay, so this, this is back to what we were talking about earlier about necks and warped. He's got a twist, okay, to it. And I was curious if you could fix that with a large enough frets and some aggressive leveling. Of course, sure, of course. You pull the frets out, level that fretboard. Um, I'd have to know how bad the twist is, but uh, yeah, have I, I've done it many times to guitars. You know what I mean? Uh, sometimes, <laughs> you can see it on vintage guitars when it's happened. Uh, that's why, like you know, like I said, I sometimes I hate the old guitars for this reason. Everybody always talking about how great they were, but I mean, there's so many used ones and not all of them are like these perfect gems. Sometimes you'll get one and literally somebody like me has sanded that fretboard in half. You know what I mean? Um, I've sanded down a Twisted Necks uh, fretboard so bad one time. Uh, well, not one time. I've done it many times where you sand it down and then you have to literally drill new holes for the dots and putting new dots because you sand it down through, pass through those dots and stuff. And the fretboard, slab of the fretboard is really, really thin now. Um, but it works. You know, you get it level and... Um, you refret it and it's good. Uh, I think what you're talking about is trying to put taller frets and then level those. That could work too, but if I was you, I would definitely hit that fretboard uh, with the radius block as well. Aaron Short Music. Hey, Aaron. How's it going, buddy? Uh, Aaron says, congrats on 300,000 and thanks for all you do. Thank you so much. As you guys know, Aaron Short Music is uh, one of my channels I like. He does acoustics. Definitely check out his channel. Uh, and I'm not just saying that because he says you know nice things to me back. Although it's nicer to say nice things to him back once he says nice things to me back. <laughs> Chad says, uh, how is it that brands like Yamaha are able to put Rosewood boards on their super budget models? It seems like Rosewood should be a tier one only. Look, the Rosewood thing's over. So that's that those are the quite the weird question is why everybody's not back to Rosewood. Um, so uh, we all know there was a CITES issue and then CITES basically didn't ban Rosewood and they didn't stop Rosewood. They just basically created a a logistical nightmare of paperwork that had to be uh, put with the rosewood 
The thing that's important to know is, and our industry proved that, by the way, Jack Higginbotham from PRS was one of the people on this, uh, on this uh, group of people who went and talked to Congress and went and talked to, um, I don't think it was Congress, <laughs> I'm saying Congress, went and talked to the CITES uh, people and said, look, the musical instrument industry is a small, very tiny, minuscule segment of Rosewood, and we're doing literally almost no business. And it's something musicians are, are we're, we like. So the Rosewood CITES bands are removed for musical instruments. Those don't exist anymore for us. Um, now, what had happened during Rosewood, as you know, companies started using like Indian laurel and they use uh, Chechen and all kinds of other woods, and of course, roasted maple and all kinds of other woods on their fretboards. And what I think is interesting now is when I see guitars, uh, like what you're saying, it's crazy when I see it's weird when I see, same as you, a $300 guitar with rosewood, and then I see a $1,000 guitar that has Indian laurel, and they didn't go back to rosewood. I'm like, is, I mean, I guess it's cheaper to go to Indian laurel, but why not go back? So, um, yeah, you can have rosewood. <laughs> so, there there you go. Uh, so, to answer your question, I don't know. I don't think it's a problem now. So, your question is, why are they doing it on cheap guitars and not expensive ones? I don't know why they're not doing it on expensive ones, but cheap guitars, it really... Now, without the paperwork cost, it's really not that much more expensive to deal with for a, a mass-produced manufacturer. Now that they're not dealing with that headache. Oh, Scotty. I'm just reading Scotty's comment. It says, Scott, and so, you know, I saw uh, Ezra too. Ezra is basically the same thing. Same thing. Uh, Scotty says, I subscribed after watching first time 20,000 subs at that time. Hell of a ride. Man, yeah, 20,000 subs. It's like, <laughs> it's a crazy world. Ah, Grumpy Mike says, absolutely hate Pale Farrell. I, I like Pale Farrell when I, uh, Pal Farrell. I like Pal Farrell, um, when, on certain things, my urge, uh, my urge, uh, bass from from Fender has Pal Farrell. Um, I like it on basses. They put it on the Jazz Deluxe back in the day too. I think it's like a punchier kind of rosewood, rosewood meets ebony kind of vibe. Fretboards are the thing that I think they matter, but again, I'm not going to say they matter a lot. I'm not going to be like, oh man, you know what I mean. It's all about the fretboard tone. <laughs> <laughs> but it does it does seem to have some effect okay so john did a super chat for no reason thank you john uh and we have aaron aaron peacock in fact okay we're at the one hour mark i gotta do this let's do this the so we can do ah uh, i'm gonna say zelk zelko Ah, Zelko, I did it. And you did phonetics for me. Thank you for that, Zelko. Zelko is the last super chat. So that way I can sprinkle in uh, for the rest of the show the super chats and the non-super chats and get to everybody. Okay, so uh, it, please don't super chat because I won't get to it this week. It'll get pulled up next week or something. Okay, uh, we have Aaron. Aaron. Aaron Peacock says, have you played with the Silver Lake Reverb pedal by uh, SD? I think that's Sumer Duncan. Thoughts? Uh, thanks for all your content. I have not. Uh, for reverb pedals, I, I, like I said, I love the 63 Boss pedal, but I hate saying that out loud because it's like super expensive now that they discontinued it. And I've even stopped using it. I, I switched. 
It's funny. It's right here. So I have an Atlantic, a Nuex or Nux Atlantic pedal that I really like, and I use that a lot. But I really use this Caverns. And what's funny about the Caverns is I had this weird experience with this pedal. I, I started using it, and then I go, oh, I don't know, maybe I don't like it. <laughs> like, it was okay. It was good pedal. Not like, not like it. Just it was good. And then slowly over time through the videos, I just needed a reverb and delay pedal. And so what I did was I... Uh, I just started using it more and more, and man, it is great. So this is what I use, and I like having. I'm I'm done now for 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 not for for pedals, but through the new X Atlantic and this, I I just don't have any reason for me personally to buy a reverb separate delay separate pedal. The way I use reverb or delay, I always use both at some point, and I like having it comboed into a pedal. So. Uh, and even if an, a reverb sounds better or a delay sounds better, if I was recording, maybe I'd care, but for functionality purposes, it's really great to have, you know, kind of two things that you use not all the time, always there, ready to go. Grumpy Mike Guitar says that for the tone jar and why not? Can't wait for know your gear. Oh, no, your tone shirt. Oh, so you got one. Uh, should get here next week. Awesome. Thank you so much, man, for supporting both channels. That's really fun. I'd like to do, maybe we should do some, some collab shirts going forward with other channels. Maybe cool. Smish, uh, smaller channels. The way the deal works, I don't know if I told you, also I'll tell you how it works. The way the deal works with TK, the Tone Kings channel, and mine in this collab shirt is, uh, they all sell off my store, but we literally cut the proceeds 50-50. Um, so, so that, I, I like the, well obviously I like it, but I like it because, um, I, we don't really bicker. We don't go, oh, well, you sold nine and I sold 11. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, so maybe be fun. If you guys have suggestions, like I, if I do another collab shirt, I'd really like to do it with like smaller channel. Uh, that could be kind of fun. And the same thing, it would be a 50-50 split. So if I sold, you know, maybe, hey, you never know. Sometimes the small channels have more diehard audience. They don't have the volume, but you know what I mean? You're, you know, it's hard to keep your uh, diehard core audience. Every, everybody, everybody goes through the Metallica syndrome, uh, which is, you know, you, you hit that point and they're like, oh, it's not the same as it used to be. It was way cooler before he got this, <laughs> right? And then they, <laughs> uh, uh, luckily, because of COVID, I don't have to hear that every once in a while. Besides bumping in you guys and getting to hear nice things like, you know, hey, I like your channel. Or I've had a good time. And we talk. Every once in a while, I bump into somebody and I don't mind it. But it's always kind of a chuckle for me when it's like, oh, I remember when you, you did videos like this and it was better. <laughs> I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> and, like, and I'm like, yeah. And I get it. I get what they're saying. It's like meeting the guys in Metallica and be like, I remember when you guys were all about metal before you sold out. I get the, I get the thing. You can't help it. Um, uh, so it's funny. The only thing that's good is since I get, since I'm telling you about that, I should give myself the accolade back. I do get a lot of people who not only come up to me, but also put comments sometimes in videos. Like I, I stopped watching you when you hit so many, this subscribers or whatever. And then I went back and watched and you're like, a lot of videos are the same. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not a lot's changed. That's uh, I don't really, I don't really understand it. <laughs> um, Hold on. Uh, 
Uh, in in Jar Jar says, uh, know you're 42, uh, uh, 42, 42. It's a, it's a, a Hinning. I have a Hinning collab shirt. You'll see it. He didn't like it. <laughs> hey, you know what? I was trying. I just tried, you know, but we could have done a different one. I, I understand why he didn't like that one. Okay. Um, Oh, he's, uh, Jeff saying Texas Toast uh, would be a good channel to do a collab share with. Well, like I said, I'd, I'd be up for it. What's What's great is, really what you understand is what I'm doing is I'm just volunteering my wife for work <laughs> at this point. She has to create them. Um, I just draw them on a piece of paper and say, this, and it's just some sticker figure with a thing, and it's just horrible, and then she figures it out on the program she does, and then she creates it, and, and then has to upload the files to the... Uh, the server or you know the companies that do it and stuff so i mean i would do 500 of them <laughs> my wife would have a different different attitude about it um so what i'm saying is it to me it's not it doesn't matter how much we make that's what i'm trying to say it doesn't matter if we sold four shirts i'd be happy with that so that's what i'm trying to say is uh if i did a collab with a, a smaller channel and we sold four shirts and four people dug it i think it'd be fun i'd wear them it's just really at this point it's just cool stuff for me to wear that's really what it is i get sick of wearing the same shirt all the time so that's why i have so many versions i like to kind of change it up all right uh mahogany says gibson doubling their boxman montana acoustic manufacturing capacity yeah i heard that too that they're increasing the montana capacity your thoughts are gibson acoustics really that popular oh yeah oh come on yeah uh look dream guitar for me uh, you know when people go oh man Yes, uh, yes, I uh, Yes, yeah, they are. Um, I think um, I think it would be fine to say and safe to say Gibson is an industry standard acoustic guitar. Um, you know J forty five, you know Songbird, uh, you know uh, every songwriter, like professional songwriter uses a Gibson uh, acoustic. I mean, they're, they're amazing. I mean, I love Martins and I love Taylors. I mean, who doesn't love all the, you know, the big hits, <laughs> right? Uh, but no, um, I would, uh, I, I dabble. So I was dabbling a couple of weeks ago. Again, dabble meaning I dabble, I flirt with $4,000 Gibson acoustic purchase. I do. I was doing it a couple of weeks ago again. It's like, oh, I need this maybe. Uh, yeah, it, it would definitely be a big deal for me. Acoustics are easy for me, as you guys. Uh, so you got, I was gonna say, as you know, you may not know. I love acoustic, and I play a lot of acoustic. I don't own a lot of acoustics because my acoustics are by, by they're more expensive than my electrics. I buy, I'll buy a more expensive acoustic than I will for electric because it's something that when I, you know, I just need one or two. I have like you know a couple acoustics, but man, a Gibson would be, oh. That's a that's a dream acoustic me. So yeah, uh, them expanding their acoustics, I think, is smart. Of course, of course. And don't don't get me wrong. Uh, and and Aaron's saying Larrabee acoustics are underrated. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and as you guys know, I love Cole Clark's. There's a lot of great acoustics. I mean, you could get crazy. There are the the, the problem with acoustics 
so when people talk, ask me the question, they always ask is like, do I humidify my room for the guitars? I don't. But if I had this many acoustics in a room, absolutely, I'd humidify that stuff. That stuff would be sucking what little moisture in the air in, in this room out. Um, you have to. Uh, I I like to call acoustic. I like to call expensive acoustic guitars goldfish. One misstep and they die. <laughs> they're 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 not as easy to take care of. I mean, electric guitar. I mean, Jimmy. Here's the proof. Don't you know? You can find an exception. You'll find you know. Will everybody will say Willie Willie Nelson beat up Trigger all day long? Yeah, that's great. One, you found one. Look, rock stars, Jimi Hendrix. They set fire to guitars. They kicked them across electric electric guitars. Kick them across stage, right? Uh, still play them. Acoustic guitars. They they need a little love, and therefore that'll work. So, yeah. So to answer your question, I think it's a great idea. Uh, and again, I think it's again just acknowledging that Gibson is getting s smarter with the new management on how you know and understanding what people want. Um, Daryl Moore says question mark question mark PRS acoustics. Um, so PRS acoustic guitars to me, and this is where it gets separate for me. Uh, acoustic guitars as a whole, when they're made overseas like that, where I think there's a made in China now because Court makes them. I used to have a PRS acoustic uh, made in Korea. And I love that. And I don't have a problem with the main China ones quality-wise versus the Korea ones. But uh, obviously, I think Cortec is making the acoustics. I think that's why, you know, main reason why they went to Cortec. It's like an all-in-one stop shop for PRS now. All the SEs are made in Cortec Indonesia, and all the hollow bodies and acoustics are made in China. When I think of, when I pick up those uh, PRS, they're great. But they're great in the idea that they're made like a lot of guitars. So it's just a brand preference to me. Like I might pick the PRS one. I would. Like I'd be like, I like the brand. I like the way it looks. But is it much different quality than the same priced Washburn or, you know, Alvarez? It's going to be like, you know what I mean? Because again, they're specifying a lot of stuff. There's a little design element there. I don't want to take stuff away. I don't want to be like, you know, say it's not you know, not unique in any way, but I'm just saying it's not the same. And by the way, when we talk about inexpensive acoustics, there's tons and tons of great inexpensive acoustics. Yamaha is one of my favorite inexpensive acoustics. You can find some really great, great Yamaha, I'm pouring myself some water, really great Yamaha acoustic guitars that will always feel better than what they, what they charge. So, oh, you know what's funny? I keep, see, oh, this one faces the right way. I was going to say, I have a mug with a logo, but I'm doing the wrong one. I have a New Year logo mug. Very excited about that. Um, yeah, Jim says, Orangewood Acoustics are excellent, reasonable price. Yeah, I reviewed a bunch of them, and that's the main reason I reviewed them. I'm, uh... It's kind of like why I reviewed a Harley Benton acoustic. Look, I'll just keep saying it just so there's no no confusion. There are some amazing two, three hundred dollar, four hundred dollar acoustics. They're they're great, way better than they probably used to be even because they they're getting the formula right. Um, and uh, Orangewood is great because it's just direct consumer marketing. They're just not cutting in dealer, so you're getting a discount. You're getting about 30 percent discount from what that same quality guitar would cost if you went to a dealer. Um, but there is no confusion in my head for me when I play a Gibson or a Martin and those guitars. There is a different, there are different animals in the way they sound. 
But there are also great things about the fact that I don't have to worry. Like I have an Arts and Lutheran. I love it. And one of the things I love about it is it sounds good, but it also, like I don't know where it is right now. <laughs> I can tell you where my Taylor and my Martin is right now. They're both in a case in the other room right now. I, um, because uh, my expensive acoustics, uh, <laughs> they're on my mind a lot. Let's just say that. Especially because I live in the desert. You know, anyone seen any desert furniture? <laughs> you don't have to be from the desert to, to, seen, to see desert furniture. Wood, wood in the desert, plants in the desert, not good friends. Um, okay, so Pedro says, uh, got an HSH Strat with a Crunch Lab bridge, and I want a PAF in the neck. Any recommendations or things to keep in mind for a middle pickup uh, for the PF? Uh, it depends how much you're going to use the middle pickup. For me, whenever, because you're already going DiMargio all the way, I would just get some kind of uh, basic DiMargio single coil pickup. I wouldn't go noiseless. It would be a waste of money. Don't pay the money. It's not going to be, it's not going to have noise in positions, if you're using a five-way switch, which you will be, well, in positions four and five, it won't have any noise anyway. So only in the middle position, I mean, I guess you have 60-cycle hum if you're going to play the middle position single coil for any reason. So you don't have to do that. I wouldn't put a blade pickup in it either, although you could and get all crazy with your wiring. But me, standard, whichever the cheapest, you know, $59.99 DiMargio pickup. And you don't even have to use DiMargio, but, you know, since you're going all DiMargio, you can make it easy that way. DWC says, DWC says, congrats on 300,000 subscribers and thanks for the show. Thank you. Thank you for, for everything. Adrian says, congrats. Oh, this is going to be like, we're going to do this for a while. Congrats on 300,000 subscribers. Love you, Phil. And thank you for everything. Keep up the great work. Okay. See, thank you. It's like, it's like, a, it's like I won a contest. <laughs> you won. It's like, it says, uh, Adrian says, hey, Phil, I want another guitar. Should I probably get something with a humbucker? Okay. But I can't decide between a Yamaha SA2200 standard Les Paul or Silver Sky or another Strat. I want to make sure I understand this. So you sh you're saying you should probably get something with humbuckers, but you can't decide. Well, those are very different guitars. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know what uh, you say another, but I don't know what you have now. So let's play, just keep things easy, hopefully, and say, what would I pick out of those guitars? Uh, Standard Les Paul, Silver Sky, a Strat. You say another. Oh, you said another Strat. So you have a Strat. Well, if you have a Strat, don't get a Silver Sky. That's just, that's not another guitar. If you have a Strat, get the Les Paul. The Yamaha is great. Don't get me wrong. Les Paul and Strat. I mean, as boring as that is, it is boring. It is boring. Strat and Les Paul. It's like, a, you know, but let's, as boring as it is, it's classic. It's, it's perfect. So you get that and you're good. All right, let me do some non-super chats. Um... Jim says, what do I think? I'm sorry, Jim, but he says, what do you think of the new Line 6 uh, PodGo Wireless? I have not tried it. Although I'm a fan of Line 6 products, so that's easy. That's the easy part. It gets awkwardly quiet once I sit here and read. <laughs> Thomas says, this is the only podcast you listen to. You know, there's a, I appreciate that. But so, you know, there's some other great podcasts. I like 60 Cycle Hum. I was listening to him this week. I'll listen. I, I, 
I know Ryan, and I like Ryan, but I never really listened to any Ryan stuff. And it's no for no particular reason, just like probably like you guys, just you know, didn't have time and uh, uh, you know, and I I was like I need to listen to other podcasts besides you know Joe Rogan and like the three or four others I do now. So I had a good time. I was in it was a good listen, so I recommend it. Uh, not Bob Saget. <laughs> Thanks for clearing that up. He says, uh, what are your thoughts on Kiesel pickups? I really love the Holdsworth, uh, but a lot of people are torn on their pickups. Um, I personally think every time, and again, you know, actually I'll just go for it. Uh, I personally think most people just don't like Kiesel pickups because Kiesel hasn't marketed it. it. Pickups are a lot of marketing. Yes. It just is. It's just how it works. I, uh, you know, I, I like this Sunday, I've been doing Pickup Sunday, started last week. It's been a project, as you guys know, I've been going for a year for this. Um, I'm really excited about this uh, Sunday's video. Okay, I won't tell you what it is, because I don't, um, I feel like if I say it, then something goes wrong, and it doesn't publish. But um, I'm really excited about it. But really, what's really cool about pickups is, it's really about somebody's ear. That's really the magic. You know what I mean? Uh, pickups are definitely... Um, a perfect example, a perfect analogy for me for a guitar pickup is, you know, name your food, a spaghetti sauce or a, you know, a taco or something like that. Um, you know, some kind of meal that can be duplicated a thousand times by a thousand different people yet tastes totally different, right? My favorite taco uh, that I, I like where I live is uh, from Backyard Taco. Backyard, backyard taco. Um, I literally like if somebody said I, I literally I lived at, I've lived by a backyard taco. Um, I, I love that place. That's where I get my tacos. To me, they're they're fantastic. It's like a perfect street taco, which is a, a corn small corn tortilla, uh, some kind of chicken or beef, right? Corn carne asada, but usually I go chicken. Some shredded cabbage, no cheese, right? Shredded cabbage and onion. That's it. Okay, and then super crazy hot sauce. <laughs> Okay, that's an amazing taco. The point I'm making with that, besides the fact I must be hungry talking about that, is Taco Bell taco, right? That's a taco too, but to me they're totally different animals, like in quality and, and, and elements, right? Not only what they're made of, but just how they're made, how they're seasoned. Um, so my point to that is that's what a pickup is to me. You can take two pickups and say they're the same thing. But literally the person, the formula in which they've created it. Um, and I constantly read comments from people saying, oh, all pickups are the same. What can they really do different? And I'm like, well, you should freaking make one. I, I mean, um, you know what's funny is it's one, of the, it's one of the easiest things to make and one of the hardest things to duplicate. Think about that statement. That's probably the most accurate pickup. That should be a T-shirt. Guitar pickups. It's the easiest thing to make and the hardest thing to duplicate. Think about that. I can make you a pickup right now. I can go downstairs and I can probably knock it out in five minutes, maybe seven. Whole pickup, done. Okay. But if you told me to reverse engineer a pickup, that's a tr trickier mess. So uh, the reason I tell you all that is I find that pickups, there's a lot of subtleties to pickups. And you have to, you have to listen to a lot of pickups to figure out what those are about. Um, but also, I, pickups are a lot of marketing. And some companies have gotten smart. PRS got smart. Look, no one used to, I don't know, 10 years ago, maybe 20 years ago. Well, it was 2007. So what's that, 13 years ago? There they go, 15 years ago, to be safe. No one, or actually better, not no one. 15 years ago, 
Everything that people say about Kiesel pickups now, people said about PRS pickups then. They said, they're not very good. You got to buy a PRS and stick Duncans in it. All the crap you hear now about Kiesel. That's what they said then. And what changed? Well, you could argue in 2007, Paul's like, I did the 5708s and he started making great pickups. I don't think that's true. I think he made great pickups before. I think he learned to market pickups because before he was just marketing his guitars. So it's about the marketing. What's funny about Kiesel to me is Kiesel, the company, started as a pickup manufacturer and over the years have made pickups from all kinds of note uh, companies with, that have note, you know, noteworthy, I should say, uh, companies. So what I'm saying is Kiesel makes good pickups. <laughs> In my opinion of, of not only making pickups, but with my 250 pickups downstairs that I've been torturing myself over for a year of going through this stuff, making heads and tails of stuff and, and learning the nuances. I have charts. I'll probably have to show you guys this stuff eventually. Uh, all the charts I had to make to, to understand the craziness of these pickups. Kiesel makes great pickups. Um, I just think they don't market themselves that way uh, as a great pickup maker, but they do. So I like their pickups. I have three Kiesels and they all have original pickups. I've had no desire to yank their pickups out of their guitars. Um, even though I have tons of pickups that I could shove in them and it wouldn't, couldn't cost me anything. Sean Brooks says, Phil, $400 for a set of PAF from PRS. Yeah, it's because what they get, to, look, don't, don't ever, <laughs> don't ever, uh, ask me, well, you just did. Don't ask me to justify prices of pickups. I cannot. Okay, um, I buy pickups that cost $30. I love them. I buy pickups that cost $300. I love them or hate them the same. I have never, I cannot tell you that uh, if I bought it, I, I can't tell you that a $150 set of pickups sound better than $75 pickups. I have both and they both sound good. I, all I can tell you is one company wanted to charge me 50 bucks and one company wanted to charge me 200 and they're great. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, yeah, so yeah, uh, so I don't buy into, I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't buy into boutique pickups too much. I don't buy into the whole, this is a $250 pickup, so therefore it's good. Uh, I just, unfortunately, um, like that's what it costs, so I bought it because I liked it. I think that's a, I, th I think that's a, hopefully the only logical way I've seen to, to do this. Um, uh, Joe Roger Guitar says, do you like Sir pickups? Yes. And I think, again, beautiful marketing on the pickups, right? A way of explaining. It's I think it's intuitive for us as guitar players to think that a manufacturer, it's it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like a manufacturer is a lot of times get pigeonholed, right? Like Fender gets to live in the, I make great amps, I make great basses, and I make great guitars. And then we watch another company and they make guitars and they try to make amps, like Schecter. Schecter made guitars and then they made amps and there's like, it just went poop, <laughs> right? No one wanted to buy their $3,000 amps, but they had James Brown. Think about this. Schecter built amps with one of the best amp designers in the industry. Remember I was talking about earlier on the show about these guys, these two dozen guys just move around. James Brown, who's now back at EVH, who obviously designed the classic series and the 5150 amps, and then of course the uh, the coupe series for custom. He basically, you know, he designs the Schecter amps, and everybody's like, "Oh, well, what does Schecter know about amps? They don't know anything. They just hired the guy who knows everything." 
the point is the marketing didn't land. They didn't they didn't know how to market correctly. Um, and I think that's what happens with certain companies. They don't know how to market correctly. Sir obviously knows how to market his guitars and his pickups. You know what I mean? And separately to the point where we, we believe now that his pickups are good. That's what PRS did. They convinced us that they make good pickups and we should let them keep them in their guitars and charge a whole lot. And PRS pickups, in my opinion, and it's for what it's worth, and I buy PRS pickups. You know what I mean? I know I just did a video where they sent me three sets, but I've bought more than three sets. <laughs> so... Uh, so obviously I buy their pickups too. I think uh, PRS charges the price they charge for pickups because the math has to make that make sense. It would make no sense to me as a consumer to say that a custom 24 with 5909s is $3,000, but the pickups are $59.99 each or 80 bucks each. You'd be like, wow. You know what I mean? They have to make the pickups expensive because they have to make the sum of the parts kind of come to this $3,000 price point. That's just my thought. I could be wrong. Paul could be out there explaining why his pickups are, you know, special wire from Zanzibar and that's why they're expensive. But I don't buy them because I think they're expensive to make. I buy them because they sound good. And I can't reverse engineer them. <laughs> uh, not the same. I can't get the same tone. Some pickups I can. Some pickups you just get the right, the right parts and you put it together and you, you follow the recipe and you go, oh, that sounds a little like that pickup. Um... Sean says, I only like PRS pickups because they have squabbins. I like the squabbins too. I, I, when I first time I saw them, I thought that was a cool idea. And then, yeah, now some of you guys are talking about, so Justin's just talking about bare knuckles, a lot of great brands. Of course, I have all that stuff. It's good stuff. <laughs> um, okay, back to, we're never going to finish up the the chats if we don't go back to them. All right. Um, we are, who do we leave off with? Ian, Ian just wants me to have a great weekend. Uh, you know what, Ian? Thank you. Super chat me. Say great weekend. I will. I will do that. My wife is celebrating her birthday this weekend. So, uh, she made the kids fix her dinner and I think we got to chill out and do nothing for the weekend. I think that's the plan. Uh, Guillermo says, congratulations on 300,000 subscribers. As always, a beer on me and just got a PRS SE Paul's guitar, and I'm enjoying it more than I thought I would. Love it. Uh, uh, that he's, uh, he's, like, he's loving that he's part of the community. Cheers for 300,000 more. I'm glad you love the guitar. Thank you for obviously being part of the community, but I, love, I thank you for loving the guitar. I think the Paul's SE guitar, that's a question I get asked a lot. Like, what's my favorite PRS SE? And I I don't know why I don't mention that guitar more. I'll say things like, oh, I like the single cut or I like this, but man, that was a good guitar. It is. <laughs> it is a good guitar. You know what? Every time somebody mentions it, I'm like, yes. I I really wanted the PRS SE or the Paul's SE core, man. That was that was a lot of money. <laughs> man, it was a good guitar. The one I demoed, oh, that thing when it had to go back, um, it was just a lot of money. A lot of money. All right, uh, Buzz Wilson says, uh, congratulations on 300,000. Very much uh, deserved. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. And uh, Matthew says, congrats, long-term watcher, first-time chatter. <laughs> I got a, uh, a, a sick deal on a 2007 Ibanez RG22228. <laughs> it said 2228. I'm going to say that way. Uh, on Reverb, haven't received it yet, but apparently the neck pickup uh, can cut out any thoughts on that? Yeah, of course. Look, the pickup's fine. Okay, the i the the uh, 
the odds of a pickup going bad or having issues, even frayed wires and stuff like that is very unlikely. Um, so if the pickup is cutting in and out, there's usually two culprits going on. It's usually the switch, uh, which they inherently have, uh, the PC board-based switches are problematic to begin with. And and I don't think that's even the case, but it could be the case. Um, it, that's usually the case with that pickup, or it's just the soldering is, is not there. You know what I mean? So somebody either messed with it or... Um, you know, or just, it's not likely factory defect, but somebody did something to it. So what I would do is go through and just make sure all the solder connections are good. And, and then if you have a problem, then uh, check the switch and then replace the switch. I would start with replacing the switch. Put a better switch in there <laughs> and you'll be fine. So Casey says, hey, Phil, I love the full tone, full drive too, but I hate uh, twisting my cables. What what do dual pedals, what, what do dual pedals always have top mounted jacks. Why do they have that? Um, I, I I don't know. <laughs> Actually, let me back up. Um, I find that the majority, it's funny that Lawrence is here, so I don't know if he's still here and he can chime in, but I find the majority of players out there are always asking for top mounted jacks. Um, so let me make sure I understand your question because I, like, I think you're saying you don't want them, right? Says... Why do dual pedals always have top-mounted jacks? Um, well, I mean, it could be just part of the design. You know what I mean? Just fitting all the crap in there, and that's why I do it. But from my experience, the majority of guitar players want the jacks at the top of the pedal. I personally don't prefer them there uh, in the way I run my pedal boards, but I don't have a problem. I work with it however I got to. But I've never said, man, I hate them on the side. I've never had that problem. Um, but I, I've heard it more than... I've ever heard anything else that players like them on the top. So it could be just by the design of the pedal because, you know, just that what they have to do. But I kind of think they do it on purpose because that's what guitar players want. Um, again, just my thought. Uh, Fret Level Midnight. Hey, buddy. Fret Level Midnight says, uh, traded a cheap pedal plus three cheap guitars for a Schecter Apocalypse hardtail. Couldn't be happier getting ahead of the inevitable gear purge of 2021. So obviously, you know how I feel. I always think uh, anytime it's a trade-up is a good trade. So if you trade, you know, three cheaper guitars and get one nicer guitar, if you get, you know, five cheaper pedals and get one nice pedal or a bunch of stuff and get a nicer thing, that's always, the, the trade-up thing always seems to be a beneficial thing. That's how I've achieved most of the guitars that you see that are cool behind me is a trade-up system, right? Um, you know, and so I, congratulations, one. And yeah, the inevitable gear purge. I don't think it'll be a purge. Remember, I think it's what's going to happen is it'll trickle. And I think it's actually happening. I think uh, last week's show when I said used prices are, you know, I said I think they've hit the height because I won't pay them. Um, and then I had a couple people say, I don't think you're right, which, of course, you know, they could be as right as I can. We're all just going off a gut instinct of what we're seeing. But this week alone, I've seen some all of a sudden deals again. A few deals here or there. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm still seeing crazy stuff. Like, I literally still seeing used guitars being priced more than new guitars, which is confusing as hell. Um, <laughs> right? Same thing. I had a, I had a, there was a used guitar I was looking at for the channel, and the the guy had it for five percent less than new, and I was able just to make one little email to a vendor, and they were willing to do ten percent less than new. I'm like, isn't that weird? This is so weird. So I'm not, I'm not, I, that, that's the weird thing, but I don't think it will be a purge. What I think is going to be is like I said, it will, you'll, you'll just, it'll slowly drift in in waves. And the first thing that happens is just the prices kind of 
smooth a little bit. And then we'll probably be able to see where the inflation took took root. Because um, a lot of people think this is inflation. I don't think this is inflation. I think this is the demand line. I think the inflation comes next. Um, possibly. How that works. TT says, I need to play bass on, on an electric guitar through an acoustic amp. It's a very specific problem to have, buddy. Uh, should I consider a bass nine pedal or just settle for another octave pedal? Um, I, I use if I have to use a, a, a pedal, I use an octave pedal. Um, I have you know because I click the boss pedals. I like the boss, but I have the uh, TC sub and up. And I, uh, sub and up. I'm pretty sure it's, it's red. That's what I use. I like that. It's polyphonic. I only like poly polyphonic octave pedals because. Uh, they get too muddy and weird and glitchy sounding if they don't. So that's my suggestion. MP Kramer says, hello, Phil. Great channel and congrats on the 300K. Question is, Floyd Rose Railtail, uh, best nut type material. Okay. What tuners, locking, any issues with using Kingman treble bleed with Fender Grease Bucket? No. Well, first, there's no usually, I've not found an interaction with a treble bleed with any other types of electronics that have become problematic. Not personally. Um, so you can use it. But the great thing is, if you, you know, you try a treble bleed and if it works, it's great. And if not, you just pull it out. So that part of the question is easy. On the Floyd Rose Railtail bus, bus nut type material, I like bone, but uh, Graftech is usually my, my go-to for both. Most people... Uh, players, I'm going to suggest GraphTech. I suggest, that's where it gets a little tricky. Watch, if you watch my channel, this is my channel, you're watching it. If you watch my videos when I do repair, let me get back to my main screen, I'm always pushing GraphTech. Hey, you should do GraphTech, you should do GraphTech. But if you watch me when I do the work, I'm constantly, me personally, on my personal guitars, I'm constantly doing bone. I like bone. I, I It's not a, it's not just a tone thing, I just like the the way it feels, uh, uh, not feels, but I like the way, way it works. I work on it. I like the way it sounds. It just, I don't know. There's something about it. However, I think it's easier and and to work with GraphTech because the way they, they design their stuff. So I suggest most of you, if you're not savvy with working with a lot of materials like that, to go with GraphTech. So GraphTech or Bone, it's quality wise, you'll be fine either way. They're both they're both very good, but it's a lot easier for most of you to work with GraphTech because they pre-slot stuff. They they have a lot of stuff that's just easier to do, um, and uh, and also one of the things that um uh, also another thing is uh, I have a lot of templates. <laughs> a lot of things when I make a, a nut, I can you know cheat. <laughs> Although I think it's funny. Uh, I'll probably do more of those videos soon where, you know, I show you guys the cheating tools. Uh, a lot of the last nuts I did on videos, I didn't use a whole lot of those tools because I was trying to show you stuff. But a lot of times you can cheat with just a couple little couple little jigs. Eric Dura said Tusk. Tusk is graph, te uh, graph tech. So when I suggest graph tech, so I'll be clear with that, Eric, for future. Thank you. When I suggest graph tech, to me, graph tech is if you need black, you go graph tech. If you need a white, you go Tusk. It, it doesn't matter to me. Um, the, the, the types of materials are slightly different, but it's usually a color issue. Uh, almost every time, like I'll have, I'll, I, it's, it's to me, it's just to me personally, every time a customer is like, I need a new nut and I go to put it in and they go, uh, you know, I go, Oh, you want tusk? And they go, well, no, I don't like the way it looks. And I put graft. It's always the way it looks. They go, I don't like the way it looks. So it's always by, by choice of way it looks.
Okay, back to questions. <laughs> so we stay focused. Back to questions. Um, BB Bird says, Phil, love your shows. Are you down to earth? Wait, oh, I am. He says, I am down to earth. I am. I'm here with you on, on earth. This isn't a spaceship. No, I know what you're saying. He says, you are down to earth and a wealth of education. Just ordered my first classical guitar. Uh, and it's a Cremona, Cremona, Sophia, S63CW. I have many other guitars. Uh, have you ever experienced with Cremona? No, that's why I don't know the name. But I will, uh, when I timestamp, I'll, I'll look up the website, Cremona. The... I don't know. Classical guitars are a different animal too. I'm I'm not a classical player. I have one classical guitar for the sake of like, hey, whenever I want to play fake classical stuff, I pick that up and embarrass myself. Unplayed video games says, hey Phil, if a if you file fret ins to get rid of fret sprout, can wood be expanded? Okay, can wood be expanded when it gets humid again, making fret wire too short for the width of the neck? Uh, no. The answer is is no. So uh, again, when you make content uh, like I do, and you have to edit, some things just are workflow issues for me. So so like uh, you know, how long do I want you sit looking at a problem or or a way I look at something? So in my shop, I have acoustic and electric box that allows me to put humidity into it, and I can humidify guitars uh, for periods of time. So sometimes I will do that to see if we can correct it that way. Um, not, it's not, I don't do it every time. It's just when I'm looking at a problem, but here's the good news. Wood generally, uh, shrinks and continues to shrink and it usually doesn't expand. You have to, to get wood to expand back out to the point where the fret sprout doesn't happen. Uh, yeah. If you stuck it in like water, <laughs> right? Don't do that. That'd be horrible. Um, so let me give you an example. In this extreme case scenario of maybe a guitar comes to where I live, Arizona, and it's super dry. And then it gets fret sprout. And then the guitar would then fly to like Brazil and stay in Brazil where it's extremely humid. M maybe, maybe it would expand back out enough. I think it could. I, I, I think it could. But in most cases, it's not. It's not. And you have to understand the tolerances. And when we're taking correcting fret sprout, we're talking about very minor amounts. Everything feels so dramatic. That's why I like measuring things on the videos. I want you guys to see what feels like, like when people complain, think, oh, I say people, when guitar players say like this action's high, you understand in most cases, they're talking about a half or a quarter of a millimeter. You know what I mean? A half a millimeter? Like, oh, it's unplayable. <laughs> like that's not an exaggeration. That's totally true. I, I set up, when I set up guitars, sometimes they'll go, oh, it's unplayable. And then I adjust a half a millimeter. And they go, that, you nailed it. <laughs> so my point is, is the same with fret sprout. A lot of the guitar, because it's so, such such a sensitive thing that we're attached to, and the things we we're very in tune with all of the goods and the bads of the instrument. Um, it's just not a lot to worry about. So that would be my my um, my uh, uh, you know that that my point is no, you don't have to worry about that. It, the odds of that happening are so so small that I feel pretty safe to say that to you. And never, you never come back on me and say, Phil, I, you know what I mean? Yeah, like I said, I'm ex barring this crazy example of you living in a desert and then going to the most, you know, and then going to the jungle, maybe. But I don't think that would even be the case. Um, Fox and the Hound said, that's why the nylon booties. Yeah, the nylon booties. Uh, that was, uh, 
<laughs> you guys are hopefully liking that. I, I, I'm what I'm trying to do, and then I'll go back to questions so you guys know. If you haven't figured out with the last seven review guitar review videos, there's I'm working out the formula. That's really what you're if you're watching it, if you're watching the videos. What I'm trying to do is create a system in which when I review a guitar, I have to do like seven things, right? Like it's a it's a it's a work I saying workflow a lot today. It's a flow process in which I cannot change it. So here's why. This became the question is sure, you I may I have an opinion. You know, do I like a guitar? Sure. Do I hate a guitar? Sure. Is that quantifiable? Can you use that information? No. But can I do something that is quantifiable? Something that says, I measured this guitar, I measured this guitar, I did this, right? I set up this guitar. You know what I mean? We check these frets, we check these frets. So you start doing a process. I think you're gonna, we're gonna get more consistent videos on guitars. And also, that will also make it easier for when we review a cheap guitar, an expensive guitar, a guitar a company sent to me, and the guitar I bought, because ultimately it won't, it won't, uh, it won't matter. I can't color the, the, the results right because it's it's just it's gonna uh, has to go through the process i think i'm on to something because i'm i'm really noticing a couple companies backing away from me real fast like they don't want a, a review video if this is how we're going to do things like you know what i mean they don't they're they're very concerned with you know the fact that i have no control over the review you know what i mean if i if i do the test and they fail the test then I could still say the guitar is good because I could still like it, but you guys happen to know. That Ibanez RG565 that I bought is a perfect example of the videos doing the right thing. I love that guitar. I love it. I love it. <laughs> it had serious issues that had to be addressed. So you guys know the issues and you know I like it. And then some people, and if you read the comments, said, like me going, I love that guitar. I would love it too, Phil. And then some say, unacceptable. And now you have the right information. You have my emotional response with the factual evidence of what happened with the guitar. All right, off that tirade. <laughs> All right, back to questions. Michael says, where can I buy a replacement truss rod nut for a Gretsch guitar? Don't ask, don't ask where it went <laughs> for the, um, Stu Mac might have them. That's that's a first place I would check. You could also contact Gretsch directly, but I would probably go to Stumac and look. They might have it. Frederick says, "Hey Phil, thoughts on a GNL ASAT Blues Boy in comparison to the Fender American Pro Tele to Tele?" Well, I just did the the ASAT Classic uh, to the Pro to Tele. To me, they're very comparable guitars. I think Fender American guitars and GNLs are very comparable in their quality. I know some people are going to have more extreme opinions about the GNLs being better or not being better. Me, I think there are a lot of it's on par uh, with the quality. So um, the only thing I don't know when you say GNL ASAT Blues Boy, I don't know if you're talking about the Tribute or the USA model. So I think the US uh, the USA GNL, in my experience, is as good as the Fender American model. The uh, tribute, I don't know. I've I've messed with a couple, and I'm trying to get another one on the channel. <laughs> I'm gonna, I I uh, I um yeah. The short version is, I did the video of the uh, American-made ASAT this week, and then it did really well. So I sent that video to GNL saying, "Hey, look, I made this video of your guitars that did really well. Any interest in sending an import?" And uh, I don't even know how to explain that. Uh, uh, not nothing. I, I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. It's, let's just say, I, I think I'm buying a 
tribute for the channel to, to review. All right. So uh, Reggie Wooten says, uh, when are we reviewing the Sire guitar for the tip jar? Keep it up. The Sire guitar is soon. <laughs> See, I just said that, Reggie. This is horrible. Soon. So here are my problems. I have uh, I have a bunch of guitars. I'm I and I filmed all the intros to them, and now I have to put them back to you know film the out the the demo parts, and then put the videos together and edit them. I don't know when Sire will come out. I just don't know. I'm thinking that's right. I'm like the whole time I'm talking to you, I'm stalling in my head, going when when. I'm very curious about it. I only thing I can tell you is this: it will be before the. Uh, Epiphone video, and even though I already pretty much done with the Schecter video, I think I'm going to put it before the Schecter video. So, um, next guitar review will probably be the Revolta, one of the Revoltas, and then the Sire. That would be my guess. You think I don't have to guess because I'm doing them, but it's again, it's I'm thinking about what I have already filmed in footage wise. I have, see, I have three. I have the Reverend, right? I got to finish up. So, but Reggie, because you mentioned it, I'll put the sire before. Can I do it next? I'll see if I can do it next, buddy. Uh, I like I said, if I don't do it, this next video will be the one right after. I promise. Uh, Felicity says, uh, "Hey Phil, just got my Know Your Tone shirt in the mail. Any experience with lace aluminum tone pickups?" Yeah, of course. Um, I've played a lot of lace and aluminum tone pickups. And I have a, um, I have this weird, um, so Illumitone, <laughs> so, so let me tell you the logic. I, I've said this before on the channel. Somebody asked me what I thought about Illumitone, and here's the interesting thing about the, the journey that I've been on in the last year. Um, the thing I said about Illumitone now doesn't make sense in my head, so let me just scrap that. So whatever I said about Illumitone in the past doesn't make sense. The reason is, is this. Like a lot of you, I've tried some pickups. I've tried a lot of pickups in guitars. And what I'm learning from my Somnium guitar and all the pickups that I've done, and, and that's why this journey has been so long and, and tedious, is you're learning that once you take the guitar out of the equation, in other words, like I would say things like Illumitones to me are good and they're clear, but they're kind of sterile, you know, right? And then everybody would go, yeah, that was my problem with them too. And now... Uh, using what I do, I have it right here. So, so what I have, what I have here, let me, let me explain it to you since Felicity you're asking. What I have here is a set of Seymour Duncan JB and JB and 59 pickups. So these are stock JB 59 pickups. Um, this is my, uh, palette cleanser is the best way to put it. So I spend hours, uh, doing this research uh, on this guitar I'll, or on these pickups. So what I'll do is I'll plug these in the Sam, Somnium guitar. So JB59, a set of pickups I'm very familiar with, you guys are all familiar with too, and I'll play through an amp that I love and through a rig that I know, and I kind of play for a few minutes and I, I get a sense of it, and then I start swapping pickups. And I'll go to like the Thornbuckers or I'll go to like the, you know, like the Illumitones and stuff. And what I'm learning is... Things that I used to think about pickups aren't really true. Once I take out all the variables, which was okay, now when I look back at those aluminum tones, did I when I said about that guitar that those pickups was I saying that about those pickups or that guitar and those pickups? So this guitar has really allowed me to kind of isolate what I like and don't like about pickups because 
sure, a guitar has a tone. And what's great about this over time, and that's what's important, I love when people are like, well, how much does the guitar affect the tone? It does. And now having the guitar this long with these many pickups, I know when I'm, I'm listening, and I think over time with the videos, you'll learn too, what of the tones you're always hearing is the guitar and what other pickups. So to, so to ask you, to answer your question about the Luma tones, I want to reserve my, my opinion right now uh, since I do have a Lumitone video coming, and I think it'll answer your question. But my experience with the Lumitones is they are actually way better than I thought they were. <laughs> and, and, and different than I thought they were. And I think it's because, believe it or not, it's, we're such a visual society. You know what I mean? Everything is visual. You can't get past it. No matter how much, look, the, the, the pickup thing has taught me not only about placebo, all right? Everybody talks about placebos, but I used to think like placebos are things you, you know, you thought because you didn't know. Even when I know it's a possible placebo, I'm getting like backwards on this, but you get the idea. You, you, you can't get past your eyes is what I'm trying to say. It's a long way to get to the point, but that's the point. So, uh, Felicity, I like them, and I'll explain why soon. Uh, MM804 uh, said uh, nothing. They just want to do a super chat. I appreciate that. Sarang said, happy 300, Phil. Uh, been a long journey. What would you say has been the most inspiring piece of gear you have had on the channel so far? Ooh, interesting, inspiring uh, question. The question is interesting. Uh, what's the most inspiring piece of gear? So when I think of an inspiring piece of gear, I don't think of a gear that has a great tone or a piece of gear I like, but it's a piece of gear that made me a better either musician or a better uh, uh, content creator. It improved, you know, a situation for me. Um, and I think, honestly, uh, I think the piece of gear that really sticks out of my head is the Cab M. It really, here, here's why. One of the questions uh, today, oh, this ties in because I had a pin question and I didn't get to it. And we'll get to it now because it ties into your question. Here is the question that ties into your question. And maybe my cabin answers the story too, which is the question was, hold on. Okay, from JJJ Music, three J's, said, Hey, Phil, how do you record audio when you do demo videos? Your guitar sounds always good. Okay, so here is what is I think is very interesting about the Cab M as a, as a piece of gear. The way I record my audio demos now, my reviews, is way different than I ever did before. And, and it's great because I've told you guys this a you know, a thousand times I got, well, apparently, you know, maybe a hundred times because half the time of these uh, videos is that I try to make the guitar or the product sound like it did to me in the room. I'm not trying to make you impressed with the product. That's not my goal. That's, that's a demo channel's goal. They're trying to make you go, you know, they're, they're going to make, they're going to, you know, pizzazz it. I'm not here to pizzazz anything. I never get offended when somebody's like, hey, Phil, I liked your review, but I don't want that product now. Good. Then that means that it was, I didn't pizzazz it, right? I'm trying to literally, I want you to be my friend in the room with me like we would be if we were just hanging out and I go, what do you think? And you go, oh, that sounds pretty good. You know what I mean? I don't want you to be like, man, and then you get it and not sound like that. So over the years, I have tried different mics, different processes, and how I do it. And ultimately, what it always comes down to is when I'm doing the mix of the, the video, you know what I mean? I try to 
you know, listen to it and go, was that how I felt in the room? Is that how it sounded in the room? And so what I've learned to do over time is, believe it or not, is now I have three, I have three recorders going at all times when I record now. So, and you're hearing different things all the time. I can't control what you hear because I'm going off intuitively what I really felt like everything sounded like. So in the room now, I have a, a line of whatever I'm playing through. So whenever I say I'm playing through an amp, I have a line that goes in the cab amp into the recorder. And then I have the mic that's miking the, the amp going into a recorder. And then I have a Zoom separate recorder recording. So I have three recorded tracks. And the reason I do this is, is that when I do the mix down, I listen to all three tracks and I try to figure out which one sounded the most like the room uh, that I'm in. And most of the time, it's always the mic, but it really helps me kind of, um, really helps me kind of, you know, figure out wh where it is. So, uh, so I think the piece of gear that I thought was most, in, you know, most inspiring for me was the cab M because there's a, uh, I don't ever, you guys don't hear the cab M. So I want to I want to put that out when I when I tell you guys you're hearing a, a you know a, this is the cabinet and you know you're hearing an amp you're hearing that the cabin is for me because the cabin sounds great <laughs> so what I mean what I mean by that was when I record um, when I record it and I'm listening back and I go all right how does it sound I always listen I reference the cabin's line and the cabin only sounds better look I I'm I really I swear I swear. If I was to give you the cab M line, cab M line recorded version of what I did almost in every video, you would think it even sounds better than it does. The cabin always sounds good. And that's what I don't like about it, is it always seems like it really smooths out some of the issues that I sometimes hear. So, uh, so, uh, uh, so I like having it as a reference. So that's what, and I think it improved things because now sometimes I, 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 um, I listen, I'm trying to figure out sometimes when I'm listening to a recording, how much is my bad recording and how much is a bad product? Does that make sense? And the cabins allowed me to kind of figure out, you know what I mean? If I'm giving you the real deal sound versus something that's even way worse or way better. Okay. Um, Strange Days with a D says, Phil McKnight, that's me. Is there any, is there any, is there an easy way to fix fret sprout on a Gibson SG Modern with a bound fretboard? Uh, what are my options? Yeah, you have to tape it off, man. I have a video on that. It's just super easy. Use painter's tape. Get the thinnest blue papers, uh, painter's tape you can. Don't get the thicker stuff. Get the thin, thin, rubbery stuff. It's like really, you'll see it when you go to the store. It's real malleable. It's because it's thin. And you just tape up everything. And you won't hurt that binding. You'll be fine. Go slow. And that's it. Just follow that video. You can, I have tons of videos on this from different files you can use, but the painter's tape is the key to protecting everything. Just painter's tape it up and you won't scar up that uh, uh, binding. There you go. And we're at Zelko. Zelko says, feeling tipsy. This is a while ago, Zelko. Oh, you're probably trash now then. Feeling tipsy. Please return the framus on the hanger. The empty space is looking weird. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should have read this a while ago. Poor, poor, poor Zelko and his tipsy OCD is probably going crazy this whole episode. <laughs> I'm sorry, Zelko. I'm sorry. I I apologize. Um, okay. So on that note, like I said, I, I wasn't going to do any more super chats. We have a couple minutes. I just want to give a shout out to Scott for doing a super chat. Harrison, thank you so much. 
Uh, and then Harrison says, while the used market is going wild, I still picked up a 90s Washburn Chicago USA custom shop for $600. Same as what happens with used Godens. Absolutely. Uh, you know what I was, what was I looking at the other day that was another crazy guitar? Same thing. It was like a $600. Um, is it saved? I think I unsaved it. But yeah, you can still find deals. Look, you can st always find deals. I still find deals. You you just got to be patient. Um, you know, like I said, I always have to remind myself I don't need any of this stuff. And that's how I always kind of center myself. Tom says, I have a leveling beam, fret end file, and mesh pads. No crowning file yet. My first fret level and polish went well, but some of the fret ends fret ended up a bit Squ I think he means square looking. Will that create a problem? Yeah, you need a. You said you you don't have a crowning file. You have to crown them. It's it's I, I just watched a YouTube video. I don't know why it came on my feed. I just watched a YouTube video where somebody literally leveled their frets and then didn't crown them, and that was their how to do video. You have to crown them. It's very important. It's important to the intonation. It's important to everything. So, yeah. Yeah, I was just, I'm going to keep it that way. I don't want to get too deep into this. So get a crowning file and you'll be fine. <laughs> so just crown them over. You'll be good. It's, uh, you can go, go, get one online and get it in a day. Um, what is that? Fiacmar? Fiacmar did a super chat for no reason. I don't even know if I'm saying that right, but that's F I A C A M A R. Uh, it says Phil, and then Phil, some indications of the Silver Sky SE coming soon. Thoughts? So, my understanding was the SE prototypes were already done last year. Um, and so I saw the leak. Uh, in fact, BB Ninja sent me the leak uh, early uh, last week uh, before the show. And I didn't talk about last week. Uh, same reason I, now. I I know there's an SE. Uh, when I say I know, I mean no one at PRS told me. But I mean, I know they... I know there's a PRS Silver Sky SE that exists. I know I, I, that's not new news. What's news is when will John Mayer approve it and when will they produce it and ship it out? That's the question. So it's not a question of, I don't think the SE PRS Silver Sky, look, no one's dumb here when it comes to making money. The, the PRS guys are not stupid. They're going to sell a bedillion of those. I said bedillion. Yeah, that's a number I just made up. They're going to make a bedillion SE the Silver Skies. And it's going to go for crazy money. Like it'll probably be like 800 bucks or 1000 bucks. I don't know, maybe. Hopefully it's 599, but I don't think so. I I think if they're smart they'll price it Mexican Strat. Well, I guess the Mexican Strat's 750, so it gives them a lot of room and they can make it in Indonesia. Um so I don't think it's a, a case of if they make the Silver Sky SE. I think it's about when. And they'll sell a ton and uh I would be really shocked <laughs> just I don't know I'd be really shocked if I don't know ahead of time because uh I can imagine I gotta make the list for that right to ship one out and get one on the channel my silver sky video is like a lot of views and you know I have a lot of PRS viewers here and I've, I've chatted up PRS over the years because I like their guitars and own a bunch I would imagine they would consider me as one of the ones channels they want to send one out to I don't know I'd be shocked uh because like I said we, we tend to do well with them here on the channel um, so, uh, trust me, I'll, you know, as soon as, as soon as I know, you'll know, I mean, you know, <laughs> as soon as I have the guitar to demo, uh, Alf, uh, did a super chat for no reason. Thank you. Will, uh, Wills, uh, is, are there any guitars that you considered your grail? As soon as you acquired them, you ended up being disappointed. Oh yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, that happens. Uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of like a real, really, you know, recent one where I was like, I thought I was going to be blown away by a guitar. Um, I think, think, thinking right now, I think, uh, I don't know if I like that Music Man Access I got. It plays great. It sounds great. I just don't know if I'm in love with it. I think, I, in fact, I already said this to my friend. I already like the PV better. And I'm really shocked by that. So I really, I really like Music Man and I love the Access. But right now, as it sits, of the two guitars, the Access and the PV, I like the PV more. I don't know what it is. So just something I like. So yeah. Uh, Chronicle Cultivation says, do you have any new EMG Les Claypool signature models? No. <laughs> and have you tried the Ibanez Mezo 32-inch bass? I have. Planning on mod project. Uh, might use Relentless. Um, so no to the EMG question. I have played the Mezo 32. I like the Mezo bass. I think we talked about it on the show a couple times. I like it. It's a great bass. It's a 32-inch scale. I'm a fan of 32-inch scale. They're pretty much the only bass to get for 32-inch scale. You either have to find a, an off-brand weird one that I don't even know if exists or pay crazy money for a custom one. Otherwise, that's the only way you can get 32-inch scale bass. So and I so there you go. Dr. Toronto did a super chat. Thank you. Mark O'Reilly said, do you still use the Spark as your practice amp? How did you tame the bass? I dialed the bass out of all of that amp as much as I can. I'm totally fine with it. <laughs> it's still sometimes sometimes a little bass heavy for me, sometimes in a couple presets. But I, And yes, I use it every day. I use the Spark a lot. My only complaint is the complaint I had from the first day, which is it's a little bassy. But I, I have my bass on zero almost every setting. And I'm happy. I'm fine. It just, it makes me nervous because there's no more bass to dial out. <laughs> so if I ever get in a situation where I'm like, oh, it's too bassy. But I, I love it. I, I really do. I like that amp a lot. So um, they reached out to me and asked me to, if I would want to do a video where I do a, like a year in a life of, you know, I still have it. Um, and and I even sent them pictures. They, they seem to like it. My Spark, I, I like it so much. The only thing I didn't like was the red logo. I painted mine gold. So I have a gold logo now for the Spark, like a you know classic partial look, um, and uh, then I never heard back, so I don't know if that's going to be a thing. But I was that was going to be the video was to go through my settings, what I do with it now, and why I'm still using it. But I use it every day, and to give you a reference of quality on that thing, uh, I use it as my Bluetooth speaker in the shop, and I run that thing at least six hours a day, five days a week minimum, maybe sometimes longer. No issues, great stuff. Philip says, not me, but another Philip. With one L. I got two L's though. You got one L. That's a Philip thing, by the way. If your name's Philip, first time you see a Philip, you're like, oh, your name's Philip too? And they go, one L, two L's. I go, one, two. I have two. Uh, what do I consider a mid price guitar? I want to say I think a, a mid price guitar is uh, three to $500. I think the market has now pushed us as a mid price guitar as being a four to $700 price guitar. That's what I think. So do with it what you will. Half of you right now are screaming <laughs> for whatever reason. But that's what I think. Uh, Waterford, but keep in mind, no matter what the prices are for guitars, you can always find any guitar. I just want to remind because I just it's important. You can find any guitar you want at the price you want to pay. It exists in this world. I don't know why anyone is complaining. <laughs> Every time I hear somebody going, they're outrageous. How can anybody charge this stuff? I mean, literally, 
you know what? You name you name a price. If you want a video on it, I'll do a video. I, I can wear a mask and go out to a store again. Uh, uh, you you tell me a price and a type of guitar to get, I will find that guitar. It exists. The only problem is everybody always wants me to go to stores, but to be honest with you, that's fun because I've done them, but it's just easy to go online. If you gave me like six days, not even a week, just six, five to six days in any budget and told me a type of guitar to find, I will find that guitar. And I kind of remind you guys, I will not find it by sorting and searching on the internet. I will be finding it by looking for the guitar and then calling and talking to somebody. Somebody will give you a deal. Okay, Waterford Giants, the last one. It says 300,000 subscribers, well-earned and well-deserved. Thank you, Phil McKnight. You are helping me be smartless. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you. You guys have been really kind today. Uh, thank you for kind of hanging for this time's, you know, this milestone for for me. Milestone. Milestone. Did I say mild with a D? Milestone. It's a mild. Medium. No. Milestone. Um, but, uh it's it is a big it's a big deal and you guys uh i i thank you all for it and i hope you all like the montage thing of all the pictures like i said uh if you guys are watching the rebroadcast it's probably a little late now to say at the end but put a comment that you you know you saw your picture thank you and uh i was gonna put more i i have more <laughs> i have lots more there's thousands of pictures i can post and if i didn't post your picture it was literally just because i pulled them from files in the order and just started posting them onto the screen so all right, uh, and then I'm going to end with one more last uh, question, just because I saw it. It's from Al, who says, your thoughts on the Tom Murphy custom relic guitar. If I had $7,000, I would buy that. <laughs> and I don't. <laughs> yes, that guitar is gorgeous. Um Yes, that's a guitar. That's one of the guitars that if, yeah, if I was throwing down that that large sum, uh, that would be one I would consider. It's really cool. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you to the moderators, yes, uh, for moderating the channel. Um, and like I said, I will I will uh, send an email out to the moderators this week and, and see what we can do to figure out how to, they, to pick a moderator of the week that gets to highlight questions for the show. And then, um, and then on the moderators, uh, my wife's done with the design of the shirts, so now she's just making them, and she'll get them soon. So you're getting your custom shirts soon. I think it came out beautiful, way better than what I I wanted. <laughs> as as always, thank God she didn't listen to me. <laughs> she just took the idea and made it better. On that note, thank you guys so much. As always, till next week, I'm gonna say know your gear. Goodbye.